On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam. Picture it. The year is 1984, and arguably the most famous horror writer in the world is reeling from the rejection of a fantasy novel he had just written. Feeling shackled to the chains of horror fiction, he falls into a restless sleep on a transatlantic flight to London and dreams of a woman, solid all the way through, who speaks earnestly. He writes down everything on a cocktail napkin and starts to create a story with the woman at the center. A woman that was a number one fan and would in turn become a catharsis about the writer himself's own number one fan, his drug and alcohol abuse. The novel would go on to be published in 1987 and less than three years later it would be optioned to be made into a film. It would fall into the lap of a director who was known for romantic comedies and it would find its two leads and two unlikely people. A leading man who was known for playing quick-tempered characters, and a rumored to be quick-tempered in real life, and a leading lady who was a trained theater actress. This would lead to the rehearsal process as a difficult balancing act between the two. The movie, however, would become a critical and commercial success, even landing its leading lady an Academy Award one of the only actresses ever in a horror film to ever be nominated, much less win. The movie, Misery. And the leading lady, the one and only Kathy Bates in the now iconic role of Annie Wilkes. Welcome, this is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. I'm Katie. And hi there. I'm Brittany. What's up? How are you all hey. doing? Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Great House Girls. Uh, how are you doing today, Katie? I'm great. It's been like two weeks since we recorded. I didn't know what to do with myself last week. Britt was on a trip and I was at home. It was kind of nice though. I had kind of like a, a chillaxed week. Um, I'm getting ready for Thanksgiving. I roasted a bunch of pumpkin and Made pie crust. Gizmo got a lot of pumpkin. How are you doing, Britt? How was your trip? It was good. It was good. We went to New York City. Uh, we actually went to Montauk uh, first for two days. I'm Meet a huge Eternal. Meet me in Montauk. Uh, you know what? It's sad. It's like I'm a huge Eternal Sunshine, the Spotless Mind fan, and I kept looking for well. shirts. Yes, it's such Were there a good no movie. shirts that say that? No shirts, no postcards. Can you believe it? I was kind it? of expecting you to bring me back a shirt that said "Meet me in Montauk." Honestly, yeah, no, no, "Meet me in Montauk" anywhere That's on depressing. anything. It's really like depressing. I'm like it's 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 such a brilliant movie. Um, but we were in Montauk for two days. I have so many stories about Montauk deer. Um, they are a different breed than the Alabama deer we have here. Oh, weird. Um, 
yeah, they are, but they're cute. Um, and then Three Days in New York City, I loved it. Um, it was amazing. The squirrels in Central Park are super chubby. I'm obsessed with them. Uh, so as you as you guys may or may not know, anything to do with animals and wildlife, that's what I'm all about. Um, but it was really great. Um, so it was a bucket list item. I can't wait till I yeah. get to go back. I don't know when I'll get to go back, but I, I loved it. So I know yeah. I loved there. Uh, so Brittany and I early on figured out we were both huge Eternal Sunshine, the Spotless Mind fans, fanatics. Because that was the first movie I watched on repeat because there were so many layers to that movie. And it was my first Charlie Kaufman movie, too. Oh, but, yeah. But, like, I remember getting it at the library or something. And I, because my sister had said, oh, it's really good. And I watched it. And, oh, my God, I could not stop watching that movie. And then Britt was like, oh, it's one of my favorite movies. Like, uh, this is why we are friends. Yes. if you don't like Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, shut the hell up. What is wrong with you? Um, yeah, but I'm so glad she, you said you, she got to go to the house. It was really cute. Mm-hmm. Taylor took a picture of Britt running. You should post those on. We should have posted those this week on the Instagram. I just thought of that. Oh, like it was very movie related. The montage would have been cute. Um, I loved it. Yeah. One day I one day I will be Clementine in her skeleton costume for Halloween because that I don't know why that part always it's not even a big part of the movie but like she's wearing a skeleton costume and uh, Joel draws her as a skeleton she's like oh you made me look so skinny and it's kind of a joke but I don't know it always like I don't know it always made me like feel like they were cute together when you weren't vacationing Britt did you watch anything good? I actually watched, um, I don't know how the hell this happened. I watched a shit ton of stuff. Um, I actually watched Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind in Montauk because it's... <laughs> oh, of course. We, yeah, because, I mean, well, you know, we, we, uh, so the thing about Montauk, and I'll make this quick, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, going to November is like going to a different world, um, because oh, my sure. understanding in the summer, like the Hamptons are like on fire, like it's boom, and all the influencers that are there and everything. In November, it's a lot of the townsfolks, the people that live there all year round. It's quiet. It's pretty. The fall leaves are just gorgeous. The color's unreal. Um, but everything's closed down at 9 o'clock at night. We couldn't even find, oh. like, a gas station to get a Pepsi at 9 o'clock uh, at night. So we were just laying weird. in bed. Yeah, it, it's, it was crazy. We we Okay, this is how sad we are. We both got a hankering for, like, a Coke, and we drove around for, like, 35 minutes before we found the vending machine. Oh, no. I was kind of afraid of that because, like, I was like, what are you guys going to do? Because Taylor and I worked together. And he was like, I don't know. I was like, I don't think there's a whole lot to do in Montauk except the beach, right? Is there? I was like, and the lighthouse. But I didn't know about anything else. Yeah, it's mainly a lot of hiking and um, trails, which is absolutely beautiful. It has some of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. But that's what it is. It's a lot of walking. Um, You may get to see some, um, like, uh, seals. Um, they're like, if you see the seals, it's very normal. They like to beach this time of year. Just please don't bother them. So there, there's a lot of sightseeing. There's not really a lot other than that. Um, so, you know, once night falls, that's when it gets kind of quiet. So we just hope, but it was nice. It was relaxing. We just opened up the windows in our cabin and kind of listened to the sounds of the ocean and just watch TV and movies. Um, so yeah, so you can say the first two days were relaxing, but yeah, had to watch Eternal Sunshine in Montauk. Um, I actually, uh, got to see Belfast in theaters. Um, that was, was it. It was good. It was good. Um, it's very, I don't want to spoil anything for you. I think, 
Yeah. I think it's going to be nominated for some things. That being said, I'm interested to see some of the other competition that Belfast has. Um, It was a very touchy movie. I will say that. So I still did tear up. Um, Because once again, it's kind of like a coming of age story. And I didn't know a mm-hmm. lot about the troubles Um, going into the movie. I knew it was like a... a period in irish history that was almost like a civil war in a lot of ways um but yeah have you seen dairy girls yet Uh uh-uh because that's all about the same time period okay no i haven't yeah so the i mean dairy girls is hilarious um and i got into it because i went to catholic school for 12 years so my best friend from school was like oh my god you gotta watch dairy girls because they go to catholic school and Sister Michael is freaking terrifying and also hilarious. And so that's why I started watching it. And I didn't realize it took place during the Troubles in Ireland. But it does. Which also there's a lot of like um, very 90s music that we would like in it too. Mm -hmm. Um, So. uh, But it's the same time period. But it's a comedy. But it has events that are serious in it. But it's mostly a comedy. Um, it, it was good. Um, I have to give a shout out to Katrina Balfi. A lot of people know me though. I'm a huge Outlander fan and mm-hmm. she is, she's phenomenal. She, um, is, she brings so much warmth to that movie. Um, the kid, um, I think his name is Jude Hill. He's wonderful. Like he is adorable and precocious and you just love this kid. Um, so yeah, I would recommend it still. I really, really liked it. Um, I will say this too. The movie's a complete black and white, but there's these moments of color. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, rare random burst and it's usually when he's watching a movie or a tv show oh, okay. which, which i think is interesting um saw tick tick boom on netflix i really enjoyed it andrew garfield is amazing as jonathan larson have you seen it yet katie no i was gonna okay. watch it last night but i didn't want to cry okay so there i won't ruin it for you but there is a diner scene and there's so many broadway cameos you're gonna love it is it do they okay so i mean tick tick boom Mm -hmm. jonathan larson row before rent and i'm familiar with the musical because i've listened to the soundtrack obviously Mm -hmm. green green dress is a really great song um i will say i listened to louder than words um i don't like how perfected the vocal lines are it's overly uh processed for okay. me okay um because i listened to the original tick tick boom soundtrack which has amy spanger rule esparza uh rule esparza was uh bobby in the company revival oh that yeah was just amazing and that he was the main character in tick tick boom when it came out um so, so he was like, Jonathan? Jonathan Tick Tick Well, I don't think the character's name is Jonathan in Tick Tick Boom. I thought it um, was I thought it was three a three character show and it's like very autobiographical. It is autobiographical, but it's been such a long time since I've like read the synopsis and I didn't mm-hmm. want to like ruin it for me for when I did, but I'm pretty sure it's more vague. Um in the um play. Okay. And I think they kind of I feel like they come it seems like they combine Jonathan Larson's real life mm-hmm. with the plot of Tick Tick Boom they for do. this movie. Yeah. Which is not what the Tick Tick Boom is about because he didn't know he was gonna die when he wrote Tick Tick Boom. No, so I, I guess and I can say but I haven't I haven't yeah. read the play in like 
a I, decade. I can say so this. So wrong. this is not very spoilery at all. So what it is, it's like he's premiering Tick, Tick, Boom. And it's like, so in the, in, it's like, so he's performing the musical Tick, Tick, Boom. And then intermersed with the musical is actually the scenes in his life that are inspiring the songs. I guess right. you can say. Yeah. Right. Because like that, that diner scene, I saw that. That is a, I have seen the real video of Jonathan Larson talking in that diner when he still worked there. Yeah. Like, so I think they, I think some of it's from Jonathan Larson's life and some of it's from the original musical, which was also still like autobiographical. It was semi-autobiographical. Um, I was a little confused with some of the casting choices, mainly the main Amy Spanger's part, just, uh, like, well, and Vanessa Hudgens has been problematic the last year. When she said, everyone's going to die of COVID. Who the fuck cares? I was like, that was Ooh. an interesting choice, Lin-Manuel Miranda, to <laughs> cast her. Um, also, I um, I don't love her voice. I don't think she's a bad singer, but vocally, I wasn't impressed. I do think Andrew Garfield can sing, but I hate overly processed vocals. Um, it turns me off when I can hear the auto-tune. So it just feels very cold. Yeah. Like, to me. And that's why, like, uh, yeah. But I will say, apparently David Auburn helped write the script, and he wrote Proof, so I forgot that. Um, but yeah, so the characters in it, it's like John, not Jonathan. So, it is Jonathan, but they call him John. And then it's his dad. Oh, well, okay. Actually, it's three people that play multiple parts. Yeah. That was the point. Mm-hmm. I was like, there was something weird. There were only three actors in the original yeah. show. Yeah. So I was confused because there were two female parts, and I was like, I thought there was only one woman in it. But I've more of listened to the soundtrack on repeat than read the script. So I'm yeah. like, I'm I'm pretty sure they combined the play in his real life. Also, a bunch of stuff has apparently come out how he maybe, I didn't know this, someone sued Jonathan Larson's estate after Rent came out because she helped write Rent, and they she didn't get credit. And it was overshadowed by him passing away when it came out. So, and she settled out of court. So, I don't think they're denying. So, apparently, Jonathan Larson wasn't the nicest person. But I've always thought pleasantly of him. But apparently, a bunch of people are talking about how, yeah, he was kind of a jerk. I was like, oh, I don't want to, like, I don't want to not tell the truth. But I'm also like, but Brett was a big deal to me as a kid. Yeah. It was like my first, like, adult musical. Like, this yeah. is like a I, real musical. I would say I told my nephew who's fourteen, uh, that Rent was my gateway musical. That was the musical mm-hmm. that got me into other musicals. And so it's very it holds a very uh special place in my heart. I yes. thought I actually thought Tick Tick Boom did a very good line. Uh, it walked a very fine line of you feeling sorry for Jonathan and also being like, stop being an idiot. And I feel like okay. Andrew Garfield gave a very sympathetic performance where it was like at times, like it was really emotional, but then mm-hmm. other times you wanted to shake him and be like, stop, you're yeah. doing this to yourself. I want to hear them sing live and yeah. see if he, see if I still think he can sing. Yeah. That's a, I don't think it's not completely auto-tuned but it is processed and i just it sounds nice and clear and crisp but i don't like it i like to hear the verbers and people's voices the wobbles and i, I like will to hear it 
I will say with you, you're definitely more classically trained as a vocalist. So there's things you're going to notice that I don't. And for me, I'm just more, I'm, I definitely now, if someone can't sing at all, I, I'm good at noticing yeah. that. But I, I'm anal about it. I'm very I, I, I definitely, <laughs> I'm better at paying attention to the acting and directing of things, or at least yeah. that's how I feel. Um, but I will say this very quickly. I like Andrew Garfield. I've liked him ever since, um, I, there's a movie called Never Let Me Go, Never Let Me Go with Carrie Mulligan and he's in uh-huh. it and there, oh my God, I don't want to ruin anything for you, but it's such no, a No, but I movie. like him. Yeah. And, I like him a lot. I think he's a good choice then, too. Ever since then, I was like, I knew I would like him. And then the social network, oh my God, he was amazing in the social network too. So, but yeah, so I, I will move on very quickly because I've taken more time than normal here. Um, no, it's so, okay. I did watch the beginning of Cowboy Bebop. I've only gotten through the first three episodes. Me too. I think we're going to, we have totally different opinions. Yes. I, okay. So I watched Cowboy Bebop in bits and pieces with my little brother years ago. Like when it was on TV. Um, my brother is a huge Cowboy Bebop fan. And uh, I really like Samurai Champloo, but I... Honestly, can't remember if I finished either one of those because it was so far back. So, I've watched Cowboy Bebop, but I don't remember plot points. I remember characters, I remember vague scenarios, but I don't remember plot points. So, I started re-watching it a couple years ago, and I got through about episode 6 on Netflix before this came out. So, I started watching the first episode, which I admittedly hadn't watched in like two years, um, and I loved it. I was jamming with the, I mean, I love the music in it. Um, I was jamming with the music every time the opening credits come on. I don't skip it. I just dance to it and I love it. And I think it's fun. I think I like the casting choices. I think Spike is, I think John Cho, yeah, he's a little old der than I think I would have seen Spike, but it makes sense because he's a man scorned. And it, like, I'm, John Cho looks young for his age, so I think he can be in his mid-30s and be a man scorned, and I think that works. And, um, shit, what is, oh my god, mechanical arm guy. Oh, Jet. What the fuck is Jet, Jet, thank you. Yeah. Jet, I love the character of Jet, and I love his actor. I think yeah. he is so good. Mustafa, I think is yeah, his name? Yeah, Mustafa, yeah. He is so good. I like him. He's perfect. He sounds perfect. He looks perfect. And he brings, like, a warmth to that character. They also made him a dad. Spoiler yeah. alert. So, I, which I was like, I could, I was like, did I forget that he was a dad? Or was he not? But it's, it's nice. It's cute. It also makes more sense why they would get Ayn. Because he steals it for his little girl. I was like, oh, that makes more sense now. So, um, and I do really like Danielle Padita, Parita, the girl that plays, plays Faye. um, Faye. I like Faye. And I like the villains. I like the look of the villains, but I don't think you like them, right? No. Um, so my, so my biggest problem. <laughs> but I'm not as attached to it. Like I'm, yes. I was a casual watcher, even though I love, I love it. And I love that creator. That um, the creator of Samurai Champloo and Cowboy Bebop, I really, really like their style. And yeah. it's it's really highbrow but fun anime. Like the the they've got a, a consistent design throughout each one, a theme, and like I love the neo noir setting and yeah. I love the vibe of both of them. They're both fun, but they have really serious subjects in it. Love it. But 
I was a casual watcher, so I'm not as attached to it. Yeah. You know. And and that's I so Cowboy Bebop. If I had to pick a favorite anime, is my favorite anime. Now I I it's great, and I I do love the soundtrack. Like Yoko Ono, uh, Yoko. I've Kano. been driving. Oh to my it. god, Yoko Kano, Yoko Kano. That's by the way. Yeah. That is the yeah. the lady who apparently has been accused of plagiarism several times too. Oh but I don't god. know if it's about the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack. Yeah. But so, she has been accused of plagiarism several times. I love Yoko but Kano. I like she's I amazing. like her music. Yeah, she's amazing. And so it's really, really cool to hear, like, Tank, which is Katie's talking about the mm-hmm. opening theme song. Yep. It's called Tank, and it's a classic. With an exclamation um, point. Yeah, Tank. So and, I've been um, listening to it a lot. <laughs> oh, I love it. And then uh, I even hearing Farewell Blues in the opening episode is one of my favorite yes. songs from Bebop. I love Farewell Blues. Uh, They've the kind of rearranged blues. them a bit. Not a lot. Yeah. They've rearranged it just a bit. There's a little more pep in it. It's kind of like when they did the Rent movie. Yeah. The one thing I liked better about it was they had rearranged the instrumentals. Like, yeah. Today for You, Tomorrow for Me has much more drum in it. And I was like, makes so much sense because Angel's a drummer. Yay. Like, that's kind of the music side of this one. Yeah. Top yeah, notch. yeah, yeah. And um, I love that they, they kept the real folk blues even as the ending theme. So the great, the thing is, the casting, especially as the leads for Spike, Faye, and then especially Jet. Jet is the best cast and perfectly cast. He's really good. He's really, really good. They have strong leads, um, very stylized. So it, it kept, it kept to the style of the original. Yeah. The only thing is, is that you always have this difficulty really translating anime because it's such a specific medium. Animation is such a specific medium. It's hard to translate. And for me, the biggest issue with this is some of the story choices don't really, aren't the best to me. Like Julia being married to Vicious just is not a great choice for me. Um, there's a yeah, few I think other I'm choice. enjoying yeah. it because I've forgotten most of yeah. the specifics and I only remember generals. I think yeah. if you only know the general plot point of Cowboy Bebop, you will love this adaptation. But if you are a diehard fan and have watched every episode multiple times, yeah. it will probably bother you that something is different. Because I know it would bother me if it was... Because yeah. when I watch the Erased live action, mm-hmm. because I am I love Erased, it's it's Maui Cowboy Bebop, you know? Like, yeah. I own the manga. I have watched it a billion times. You know, I could not watch the live action. It was but the dubbing was it was a dubbed one and it was very badly dubbed. So yeah. and I worse feel, than Squid Game. I feel like with Cowboy Bebop's adaptation, I think the writing may be some one of the weaker points in the show, to be honest. There's they some, curse a lot. It, it, I don't, the cursing doesn't even bother, doesn't bother me, but I feel like maybe it's a bit of a crutch. The dialogue, I think, is a little wonky. Like, the chemistry's good. Like, Spike and Jet's yeah. chemistry is spot on for those characters. But then some of the dialogue choices, especially for the supporting characters, like if it's, like, a villain or, like, a random They're character. a little silly. Yeah. They're a little silly. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I had just watched the episode with the eco-terrorists, mm-hmm. and they did come off as silly to me watching the cartoon. So, I don't want to call it anime. I'm sorry. Yeah. But I'm sure that the one that's animated. But, yes. Yeah. So, but... I, I'm enjoying it. I'm, let's see, I'm through episode six on the original show, and I think I'm maybe episode five? I might be, no, I might be on episode six of the live action, too. I think I'm even. I feel like I need to watch the animated one before I watch that one, to be fair to the source material, though. I love it. I, I, 
Oh, it's but great. I will say this real quick. So, yeah, if we ever go down the Cowboy Bebop, I'm like, oh, I can hit that trail running They hard. do have a movie, right? There is a Cowboy Bebop movie. Oh, yeah, of course. A knock so. on Heaven's Door. So, which actually takes place between episode uh, 22 and 24. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you can believe it, I will say this real quick. Back in the day, um, we are talking about the early 2000s. Um, there used to be... The dark uh, times. Yeah, the the early 2000s, there used to be people that would come to the mall once a year and they would sell, like, bootleg anime DVDs and Knocking on Heaven's Door was available. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door was available in the U.S. yet, so I actually have a bootleg VHS of Knocking on Heaven's Door from Japan. So, because I wanted to watch it so bad, but it wasn't available That's in the U.S. yet. pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. It, those were the days. Um... But I will say this, Katie knows this, I don't know if you guys know this, but Netflix is starting to do a lot of live uh, anime adaptations. So they have yeah. Yu Yu Hakusho lined up, they have One Piece lined up. Uh, so yeah, we One will Piece be seeing I'm more. intrigued about because it's very long and, and I think, is it still going? I can't remember. I know it went on for like, it, it, it was like, what, 10 I'm or 15 years at it. least? Yeah. yeah, I'm afraid to start it because everyone's like, it's like a thousand episodes. I was like, I'll never finish it because I can't even finish Cowboy Bebop even though I liked it. Like, I'm never going to finish it. It has a, oh, it has a 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Oh, that's sad. Cowboy the Bebop. Live at, the live, the live action. Does. Yeah, but it's got a 6.7 IMDb. Like, I feel like Rotten Tomatoes is a lot of people who are huge fans and they're like... Fuck this shit. But I really... I like it. I'm enjoying it. Um, But especially the first episode. I really enjoyed the first episode. I was like... I literally was like jamming to the music. And like, yeah, oh, yeah. this is hilarious. I was laughing out loud. It was great. I like it. But I, I, I am not as attached to it as other people are. So it's like if someone redid Star Wars. I would be very, very, very critical of it. Um... So besides Cowboy Bebop, uh, did you watch Dune yet? Because I did. Oh, fuck. That's one of the only things I didn't get to watch, I'll be honest. Did, so what did you think of Dune? I liked it, surprisingly. I contacted our only friend who I know I was pretty sure had read Dune, which is our friend Peter. They have not watched it yet. So I don't know how close it is to the book because it's a book that I have on audiobook that I have yet to listen to because... I don't know it's very long and complicated and like the world of dune always fascinated me but it's the books are mostly about the politics of dune and that's not something i am super interested in and also all the people that read dune in my middle school were like pretentious douchebags which not saying you are if you like dune just that was the crowd that was reading dune and i kind of thought that i wouldn't have anything in common with them that being said I understood everything that was going on, which is a big problem in Dune because it's too complicated for a movie, generally speaking. It's failed many times to be made into a movie. It's a very complicated movie. Um, I love the villain. I love um, Oscar Isaac. Oh, so good. And Rebecca Ferguson, so good. Timothy Chalamet is, I mean, Paul is kind of a plain Jane kind of character, like, everyone else is interesting, and he's, like, a messiah character, so he's kind of, like, he's, like, the chosen one, 
so it's, you know, he's doing his Keanu Reeves thing, his Neo thing, where he's, like, not super interesting, but not super boring either. He does a good performance, but he's not the most interesting character. Rebecca Ferguson, love to see her in more stuff. Oscar Isaacs, I mean, ooh, he's, he's an attractive man, and you know, you know I love me some Poe Dameron, but, like, I was, he's really good. He really transforms into his character. He doesn't seem like himself, in the best way possible. Like, he's really another character. He's very much a daddy. Very much a daddy. He's very much... He's given, like, the sheriff in um, in uh, Midnight, Midnight Mass, Mass vibes. Like, like yeah. oh, I've seen this actor many times. It's like, oh, hello, daddy? Oh, I'm sorry, daddy? daddy? Mm-hmm. Like, he's giving... He's a daddy. But um, I really like all the supporting characters. Um, Zendaya's in almost none of it. So don't go watch it just because of Zendaya. Um, oh, and... So, a lot of people were saying they were distracted by, like, all the cameos, because um, Jason Momoa is a character. I thought he did a really good job. He did not distract me. He wasn't giving Aquaman vibes, and he wasn't giving Cal Drogo vibes. I thought he did a really good job, because he's, like, a pilot who infiltrates the the um, native people of the planet they go to just to, like, kind of... Like, he does reconnaissance work. He just wants to know what they're about to get the vibe before the family comes onto the planet. And I thought that was interesting. Um, one of the Skarsgårds... I think it was Peter Skarsgård. Was it Peter? I don't know. One of the Skarsgårds played the villain. And he's, like, this horribly fat, awful man. But he floats. And it was the most terrifying thing. I didn't know that he floated. And then I went and read the lore. And apparently he has, like, a hover thing because he's so fat he can't walk but it's terrifying because he floats across a table okay you want to know the way my mind goes and i'm so sorry so you said well, scars guard which made me think of Haley bennett because they're they won the scars guards and her get married in the devil all time and Haley bennett reminded me that her and peter dinklage are in a movie together coming out this yes December. it is so i'm so excited i've been yeah. following her instagram um which is um Shit. What is... The nose. Swallow. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm trying to think of the name of the movie. I pronounce it. Fucking... uh, Roxanne. Um, Is it Roxanne? Is that... No? Is the movie called Roxanne? Roxanne is the adaptation... Yes. ...of the original French play... Which, hold on. Which has inspired countless movie adaptations. Yes. Cyrano. Cyrano de Bergerac. Thank you. Cyrano. Which I think Peter Dinklage is perfect. Yes. I was like, you know, and I've been waiting for him to do something meaty ever since Game of Thrones ended. I'm like, please, I need some more Dinklage in my life. Because he is so good. I but you him. need the right part for him. And he's so and cute. so good. Anyone he's who doesn't very think cute. Peter Dinklage cute, I will, is fi- I will fight you. I will fight you. He's cute and he's a really good actress. Oh, my God. Actor. Actor. His, and also, like, like he, like, I love that, like, him and his wife look so cute together, too. I've been, so, I've been wanting so him cute. because he's so handsome. I'm like, I want him to play a romantic lead. And he's That's not, what this is! Yeah, it is. It's like, he's not really the romantic lead, but he kind of is, if you know the story. Yeah, he is, he is and he isn't. But it also yeah. looks absolutely gorgeous and lush and yeah. just, like, a beautiful movie. I can't wait to go see it in theaters. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when it's coming out, but it's soon. Yes. Um, but I didn't know it was in production, but I follow Haley Bennett's Instagram, and she was posting about it. I was like, what is this fucking gorgeous costume she's in? She's like, watch Cyrano. I'm glad you've been watching that, too. I meant to bring it up before. I'm very excited about that. But uh, I'm going to try to finish the Dune book before 2023 when the movie comes out. 
Um, I I recommend it. Um, people have been liking it. I don't think the celebrities are distracting because I think they're all well cast. No one stuck out weird. And it's Denis Villeneuve who improved on um, freaking B. What is it? Starts with a B. Blade Runner. Okay, yeah. I liked Blade Runner 2049. I am bored by Blade Runner. Uh, romance doesn't work. I already said that, I think. Um, also, I started watching Succession. Ah, how's that Which for you? is, it is really good. Okay, I wasn't sure if I was going to like Succession because it's like about a corporate family and what happens when like the dad falls, like he has a stroke in the first episode and so the company kind of goes into turmoil and like there's the middle child, the middle brother who like, He's the, so they, they have, like, an oldest brother who's played by Alan Ruck from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the best friend, who I love seeing. He's such a good actor. Like, he, like, I don't see him enough stuff, so it was nice to see him. Um, and then they've got three other siblings with the same mom, and the oldest sibling of that set um, is supposed to be the successor because the oldest, oldest son isn't really interested in the company. Um, but he's had, like, substance abuse problems. The middle child is played by Kieran Culkin. He's a smarmy asshole in this TV show, and he is so hilarious. He takes nothing seriously. And, like, I mean, if you think Macaulay Culkin's funny, Kieran Culkin, like, they are both, like, sassy pants. But he's so perfect for this role. And then, like, the youngest child is, um, I can't remember, Sarah Snook, I think is the actress's name. Um, and she's kind of like a daddy's girl and she's been working in the political field, but she wants to get back into the family company. And her fiance is Matthew McFadden from Pride and Prejudice and many yes. other things. He has a beautiful British accent. Naturally, he has a awkward Midwestern accent the entire time. And he is like the most like he's just like a complete douche, but like not like an evil guy. He's just like a bumbling douche. Like, who doesn't belong in this super fancy family, but he's somehow wormed his way in. And he's not like, he's not like, um, Peter, uh, not Peter Dinklage, but, uh, Peter, the bad guy from Game of Thrones. Littlefinger. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, not yeah, like Littlefinger. Yeah. Peter Baelish. He's not like Littlefinger where he's like, like, working behind the scenes. It's just like, he's bumbling. And it's kind of cute, like, but he's hilarious. Because they have this younger cousin named Greg who starts working for the company who's bumbling but also very good at, like, corporate corporate espionage. And, like, he starts, like, abusing Greg verbally just because he's so frustrated with his own life. Anyways. Oh, and, and uh, shit. Um, Brian, Brian Cox is oh, yeah, the dad. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, so, sorry. Amazing. And, like, all, like, the guests, there's all these, like, amazing actors that, like, guest, like, little parts. Like, the mom of the three youngest kids is the lady who played Fanny in Sense and Sensibility, the bitchy sister-in-law. And she plays this great British bitchy mom. It's wonderful. Anyways, it's really funny, um, but it's very dry sense of humor. And it's, and I didn't know Will Ferrell helped write it. Oh, Which is why it's like, so it's like awkward funniness because it'll be more of like the situation is funny, but it's not in a laugh track and it's not like ha 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 funny. Um, but I really, really like it and I highly recommend it. And it's beautiful to look at, by the way. Like it's really well shot. So it's very, it kind of um, toes the line between a comedy and a drama. So I would call it a dramedy, definitely. Highly recommend Succession on HBO. I'm only in ep- season two. 
So don't ruin anything for me yet, because I know they're, like, finishing season three. I guess with that, like, uh, we should start actually talking about the movie, because we've been talking for a long time about other movies, because we were gone for two weeks. So, um, yeah, but I think you were going to start with the background and directors of Misery, yes. which is currently streaming on HBO. And Max, Cinemax. And Cinemax. All the Maxes. Um, it's a 1990 movie. Uh, directed by Rob Reiner and starring Kathy Bates and James Caan and a lot of other really good actors. So um, I will let you get started on that. I'm super excited. This is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's a good one. So, of course, uh, like you said, it's directed by Rob Reiner, who was originally uh, known for his role as Michael on all the family, like, those were the days. Yes. Uh, but he's directed countless films over the years, and many are now considered cult classics. So he started with the mockumentary This is Spinal Tap, uh, which he helped co-wrote. Uh, he mm-hmm. also did another Stephen King, King adaptation in Stand By Me, which is based on the King novella The Body. It's one of my favorite works. Um, the Princess Bard, and then one of my all-time favorite, uh, which is When Harry Met Sally. And yes. there is also a cameo. So there's a part in When Harry Met Sally where Harry is reading Misery, by the way, which is a little ha-ha. Also, apparently, I was trying to catch it the second time I watched it. You can see When Harry Met Sally in the background. Oh, the video. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And the vi- yeah. It's like a video of it. Yeah. Because he actually followed this up with When Harry Met Sally. So When Harry Met Sally came out in 1989. This movie came out in 1990. Um, but he also um, did A Few Good Men, which was nominated for Best Picture. You Can't Handle the Truth. Um, and he Great also movie. starred in Sleepless in Seattle, which cute fact. So Nora Ephron uh, wrote uh, When Harry Met Sally, which he directed. And Nora Ephron directed Sleepless in Seattle, so he starred yeah. in it for her. So, which is really cute. And that I don't, is cute. Yeah. And I don't remember his role, but supposedly he was in The Wolf of Wall Street. And I'm feeling bad because I can't remember who he was in The Wolf of Wall Street. You know the lady? latest thing i saw him in was actually new girl because he plays <gasps> jessica's dad oh and he's actually in quite a bit of that show oh like he he he's in like 10 episodes which is not always true of like like the parents the supplementary parent characters um but i really liked him on new girl i think he did a really good job as jess's dad so william goldman is a very famous writer Especially, he's done everything. He did plays, he did movies, and he is extremely famous for some of his some of his movies include Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Princess Bride, All the President's Men, Marathon Man, which was based on his own novel. Which, if you haven't seen Marathon Man, I finally watched that in college. Oh my God, is scary! And Dustin Hoffman is so good in that movie. Um, and the horrible we almost did this movie this month but we decided not to torture brit because she hasn't seen it uh stephen king's Dreamcatcher, which was oh, i've seen directed, it directed oh you have seen it i have seen directed it. by uh the director of empire strikes back written by william goldman and it's, it's a terrible flop um he's won two oscars and um, he's also authored novels and plays. And, by the way, fun fact, when he was living in New York writing plays, he shared an apartment with Cabaret Chicago composer John Kander of Kander and Ebb. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so a really good cast of characters. I did want to say 
Um, Rob Reiner is such a nice man that during the filming of this movie, James Caan actually ruined a whole day's shoot because he was hungover. And Rob Reiner was so sweet that he lied to him and said that there was like a camera malfunction or the film was messed up or something. Which then James Caan found out the truth and he felt terrible. I think he like paid them back or something, which I thought was very sweet. But I was like, don't come hungover to your your show, James Caan. Jeez. Yes. I love James Caan. Yes, he is um, amazing. Yeah. And of course, we all know this, but it, it's always worth being said. Uh, so it's based on a novel written by Stephen King, who is yes, Stephen I have fucking my novel King. Here. Yes, I have. So. I I am very lucky. Um, this is my gateway Stephen King movie, and uh, someone bought me a first edition of the novel years ago, and it I have not really cracked it because I don't want to hurt it. Um, but it's in pretty good condition. I have it with me. Um, it's really funny because there's only like, there's only like one page of novels listed as different Stephen King novels. Um, because, you know, he's very prolific and he hadn't written that many at the time because it was only in the late 80s. Um, but yes, it's by Stephen King and it's based on multiple things in his life, as we said in the beginning. Um, including, like you said the uh, negative audience review uh, reaction uh, to his epic fantasy novel, The Eyes of the Dragon, which I've never read. Um, but he was, like, very... Like, I don't know if it's good or bad, because I haven't read it, but apparently people just did not like that he was writing something different than horror. And he's always said, I'm not a horror writer, I'm not a suspense writer, I don't deny or agree with any titles anyone gives me. I'm just a guy who writes stories. Which, uh, Stephen King, Stephen King can be kind of like, I don't fucking care, but it's okay. We love him. Um, and also, did you read that 16 pages of the book was written in London's Brown's Hotel on the desk that Rudyard Kipling died at while writing? He died of a stroke while writing at that desk and they bought it and put it in a hotel in London. And they were like, Mr. King, would you like to write at this desk? I'm like, that seems kind of cursed, but okay. Did you hear about the original book's title uh, called the Annie Wilkes edition? No. Yeah. That was not in any of my reading. Yeah, I will, uh, I'll spoil it at the end because I don't want to spoil the ending in the movie. But uh, yeah, oh, okay. it was originally going to be a short story and it had a very, very different ending than the finalized story. The, the book is much harsher. Mm-hmm. Then the movie also, so the main character, Paul Sheldon, is a writer. He's known for writing the Misery novels, which is a romance novel uh, series. I, the reason the book is so long to listen to, because uh, I, I don't want to ruin my first edition, so I've been listening to it on audiobook, because I'm not buying a second copy of the book, but I will buy it on audiobook, um, is because, like, you actually get to read a lot of the novel that he's writing, which is interesting. Like, you get to read some of the novel of the original manuscript and the two versions of The Misery's Return that he writes. And it's interesting how his thought process and writing style changes when Annie Wilkes inspires him, weirdly enough. Um, so she does improve the story, weirdly, in the book. And it's more obvious in the book that she's the reason he's doing a better writing job than he was used to, um, which we'll get into it, um, which is all of Stephen King's novels that I've read. 
they all just expand upon these good characters. I do like this one because although Annie is a bit of a religious fanatic, which is a, a themed character that he has, it's a staple of the Stephen King novel, there aren't any weird bullies, which they always annoy the shit out of me, the Stephen King, like, they're like the greaser bullies, like, every story has one, and there's not really one in this story, which I always found those characters distracting. Yeah. So, I like that in this book, it's very contained. Yeah. Also, they tried to make it into a play, and Julia Roberts was going to be Annie Wilkes, and, um... Bruce Willis was supposed to be Paul Sheldon. They did actually. Which I think they did work. do that. They did do that. Yeah. Lord Metcalf and Bruce Willis. Yes. So years later. No. Okay. So ori- yeah, originally they had Julia Julia Roberts in mind for Annie, which yeah. I don't see works at mm-hmm. all. No. No. I would not believe that she could carry a grown man from a car in a snowdrift. No. At all. No. But um, Bruce Willis, I see, and Laurie Metcalf. Even though she's really tiny, she's feisty. I could see her doing it. Yeah. Um, Because they did perform it years later. And I think they, I think Lori was up for a Tony Award for her role as Annie. She might have won it. I feel like she's won. Yeah, maybe she won. She was, she was the originator of the first like big part I had in college, which was for Balm and Gilead. Mm -hmm. She was Darlene originally. Oh, wow. Which is, I was like, oh, Laura Metcalf was this? I was very excited because she's a really good actress. Um, I will. I love that um, the only reason Stephen King agreed to this adaptation after you know his apprehension about the the Kubrick Shining, which I love the Kubrick Shining. This is my favorite King adaptation, but The Shining I think is the best adaptation, even though it's not as true to the story. It's an amazing movie. It's Kubrick. Um, He didn't really want anyone. He was very hesitant about it, obviously, because he was. The Shining was only a few years before this, and he was really not, like, cool with it. But then Rob Reiner had done such a good job with Stand By Me that he was like, oh, Rob Reiner's doing it? Of course, I'll do that. Which, ironically, Rob Reiner only wanted to do a Stephen King adaptation because he saw The Shining and said, I want to do that. So, you know, it's a, it's like it's like um, Diabolique. Like, it's a, it's a full circle, y'all, which I love. I love. Um... Also, we said this, but Kathy Bates was the only person or thing nominated for this movie, which seems weird to me because there's four other Oscar nominees in this film. Um, But um, King liked her so much that he wrote two more parts for her. One part he completely rewrote from the stand. And then the other part was from a novella because he just loved her performance so much. Yeah, she is like the perfect Dolores Claiborne. And if you guys, for our Stephen King junkies out there, Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's Game actually go hand in hand. The the events in the novels go on at the same time. And so, and when you watch Gerald's Game, she actually mentions Dolores Claiborne because she's like, I saw... She does. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is really, really cool. But yeah, Dolores Claiborne was actually written by Stephen King for Kathy Bates. So that's yeah, mm-hmm. he he loved I mean, who doesn't love Kathy Bates? I love her so much. Yeah, she's literally one of my favorite actresses of all times. And she's one of those actresses. You see her parts. You're like, I want to do that. And she she and uh, James Caan had very different acting styles. She comes from a theater background. So all she wanted to do was rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. And he's one of those people. It's like least amount of rehearsal possible. And so they really clashed, but Rob Reiner was like, okay, just use it. And it worked. 
Um, but they seem to be friends now, oh. so I don't think it ruined their friendship or anything. Did you like see her reception speech at the Academy yes, Awards? Yes, her Oscar speech is great. Yeah. I love it. She said... Short, sweet, and funny. She literally says, I want to apologize to uh, Jimmy Kahn publicly about the uh, ankles. And uh, everyone laughed, but uh-huh. she goes, but no, Jimmy, I seriously love you. I am your number one fan. I am your number one fan. Yeah. Yes, I love her. Which I feel like everybody knows about this movie, even if you haven't seen this movie. But I feel like it's a movie that people maybe have forgotten about, which is why I'm glad we're doing it. So Yeah. Um, And also, it's one of my favorites. And it was a Christmas movie because it was released in late November in 1990. And the original tagline was, according to IMDb, was, This Christmas, there will, will be dot, dot, dot misery that's so funny which i love that so i find it hilarious um because to me it's a standalone great movie but um you know i don't i don't know how many people have really seen misery like in our generation i feel like i saw it pretty young younger than i probably should have i don't know yeah, me too. but it's not there is violence in it and there is language but it's few and far between and it's pretty realistic it's not um over the top in any way even though it is very violent and i think that's one of the great things about this movie is the scary parts are so realistic yeah because um in the book annie is much more of a villain um not it's not totally black and white but she's a lot harsher in the movie rob reiner and kathy bates specifically chose to portray her as like a specifically sick individual like She has um, many mental illnesses, and that's what's going on with her. So she has sympathy, even though she's not a great person. Like, she has moments of sympathy. Um, Whereas, you know, I think someone else would just be like, ah, she's just evil. I'm like, no, like, she's a specifically mentally ill person. And um, they're not trying to make fun of mental illness by any stand. But it is interesting that they gave her this almost a softening of her character, even though she's terrifying because this is like anyone who has unchecked or like who hasn't gotten help for yeah. these kinds of issues. It, that is a scary reality that like someone who refuses to get help could turn into like something scary like this or they could be fine you never know and i think as an adult watch as an adult with mental illness watching this movie as an adult it's it's a lot you want to go to therapy more often. it's a lot more hard-hitting because there's yeah. literally scenes kathy bates does such a great job with this role that there's literally scenes yes. where you see annie fly off the rails and in the moment you see her knowing she shouldn't do it. Like, she stepped back yes. and goes, I shouldn't be. You see it in her face. And for anyone yes. who lives with mental illness or if they have a, a close mm-hmm. loved one Anxiety. that lives with it. Like, if you see, like, I've seen it in my dad where it's like maybe my dad flies off the handle and says something. And as soon as he says it, he regrets it. And you see that with Annie a lot in this movie. Yes. And sometimes she just follows also, through on her anger, too. Yeah. The thing that really got me was, like, when she's going through bouts of depression. Yeah. Which I have never... I have more anxiety than depression, but I've gone through bouts... I've gone through temporary depression. Um, But, like, like, the tone of her voice, how, like, it just comes out of nowhere for her. 
Like, that's when you know you have a clinical issue, whether it's depression or anxiety, is when, like, there's no reason I should feel this anxiety, but I do, or this depression. And, like, she's just like, oh, sometimes the rain gives me the blues. But it's terrifying because she changes. I mean, it's not terrifying that someone has depression. It's terrifying that someone who also has extreme anger issues is so, like, uh, malleable to outside, from outside forces, um, which is why um, mental health is health. Get your mental health checked up on, guys. Go to therapy. Be mentally healthy if you can. Therapy's fun. Actually, it is kind of fun, but that's because I'm an attention whore and I like people to listen to me talk. That's why we have a podcast. <laughs> but anyways, um, no, I'm not saying mental people with mental illness. Being someone who has definitely had uh, high-functioning anxiety I don't judge Annie Wilkes, but I mean, she is, she does bad things, but I like that they didn't just set, write her off as a villain, that she has a reason for her actions. And it does make it scarier because it is more realistic. Like people who kill other people tend to have mental illness that they have not gotten therapy for or prescriptions for, you know, whatever that entails, um, which is the scary reality of like when. People don't look at mental health like it's important, but it's very important. Also, you know, when you find out someone's been a serial killer and there's, like, been warning signs for years and no one's checked the warning signs. Like, the thing that happened in Wisconsin, that man's been arrested, like, 22 times for violent crimes. So, I'm not going to say their name, but we got to gotta get that together. Anyways, we can cut that part out. I don't know. That might be too depressing. But, anyways... Uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I think we're going to have to get into spoilers because we might have already lately spoiled some stuff. Yeah. We didn't spoil everything. But um, don't watch the funny In Living Color sketch before you watch this movie, although it is very funny. Because um, when he says Dirty Birdie, it's very funny. Um, but with that, I think we're going to have to say spoilers because this movie is very, very long. It's very, very um, interesting. Yeah. It's not, it's not super long, actually. Our, it's pretty quick. Our 47 minutes. I always pay yeah. attention to the time on the movies. <laughs> it's not super long. Yeah. It's just there's a lot of details. Like, I was like, oh, this plot is going to be no time at all. And then I realized I had, like, five pages of plot. And I was like, there's just a lot of stuff that happens. Yeah. And the book spreads this stuff out, which is why the book is so freaking long. The book... Like, literally, chapter two was, like, almost two hours long. But you know what's funny? It's actually short by many Stephen King novels because it's 320 pages. (laughs) So it's, like, not as bad. It doesn't look like it would be that long, but listening to it is very long compared to other books that I've listened to um, on Audible. So I sped it up a lot. So I got over halfway through trying to reread it. And, um, but it is more violent than the movie, but I, I do think it's a really good book. It is definitely shorter than Dr. Sleep. Yep. yep. And it. I like Dr. Sleep and it. I still haven't even tried to read it. Um, but they, instead of like spreading these events out, they try to like make, like they make musings that happen in either character's head happen 
while they're doing an action, which is always the best kind of direction I like is like something's happening while you're doing action. Like you're chopping an apple while you're arguing about your marriage. Like, yes, I want to see this in movies and plays. Yes, yes, yes. It keeps us focused and, and you can use it to uh, highlight different things. Anyways, um, it is, I think we're both going to say it is a recommendation. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Um, if you didn't know, we like Stephen King. You guys should know. We already did one Stephen King episode. But we're big Stephen King fans. I don't know anyone who likes horror who doesn't like Stephen King. Yeah. Um, but Mike Flanagan, certainly. Midnight Mass is like what Red Letter Media was like. It's the best Stephen King adaptation that wasn't written by Stephen King. I said the same <laughs> I thing. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a consensus. We're yeah. all, we were all thinking it. We're all like, this is very Stephen Kingy, but like way less uh bloated i'm sorry stephen king i love you but sometimes there's bloat in his books and movies like it is mostly bloat it it chapter two literally makes a joke about it like you need to learn how to finish your novel it has coke bloat it has coke bloat because it was written by cocaine uh stephen king had a very very bad drug and alcohol problem in the 80s i think a lot of people did so did robin williams um coke Cocaine yeah. was the co-author of it, and he had a really bad struggle with alcohol. And in the book, Paul Sheldon is already has substance abuse problems, and they become worse because he's taking pain medicine given to him by Annie. Um, it's it's not as much of a th- it's very light theme in the movie. Like it's not as big of a deal in the movie, but it is a big deal in the book. Um, but I find that that would be a really hard thing to visually show in the movie that already has so much stuff going on that I think they did the right choice to just kind of mention that he used to smoke and he only drinks and smokes when he finishes a book. Because obviously if you only do that on a special occasion, there's a reason. Like, if, you have, if you've had addiction problems, you're only going to do that stuff every once in a while. Um, very special occasions. Yeah. You know. Stephen King actually said a quote and it was like so hard hitting to read it in print where he was like, Annie, Annie was my number one fan and gosh, she didn't want me to go. Like, oh, and God. refers mm-hmm. to his drug addiction. Like, it was yeah, bad. Annie's like more symbolic of his drug addiction. Yeah. Than it is in the, in the book, it's more like he does have substance abuse issues. Like he more steals like novel from Annie to take it himself than anything else, which is, like, it's tough to read, but it's a good book. There's a lot of, I mean, it is, it does go off, off topic a lot because it'll go into the novels he's writing, which are interesting, but this book lightly says stuff um, about it, so, but it was interesting listening to the Misery Tales, because I was like, oh, I would read this book. I mean, I, I don't know if I've said this before, I have read a lot of um, romance novels in college. Uh, there are good ones. There are bad ones. Um, but I understand why someone would either love or hate to write them. Like, in the struggle of only being able to write that. So, spoilers. Spoiler alert. Um, for Misery, uh, skip to the end to see what we're doing next week. Um, but with that, we're going to get into Stephen King slash Rob Reiner's Misery. And for just a little synopsis, I'm just going to let you know what Misery is about. Misery 
is about an author named Paul Sheldon, who, after being trapped in a terrible blizzard and a subsequent car accident, is rescued by his number one fan who becomes ever more possessive of him as she helps him convalesce at her isolated home. So we open. I actually really like the opening. It's kind of like, like it's kind of fun. Paul Sheldon, played by the great James Caan, which I feel like everyone in our like age group, and especially Taylor's age group, because I know this is his favorite Christmas movie, knows him from Elf. He's the dad in Elf. He's like the, he's, dad. The, he's the human dad, not the elf dad, because the elf dad is Bob uh, Newhart. And, uh, yeah, he's Buddy's dad. Um, but he's also was in The Godfather. Because um, he was Sonny. Yeah, he's right? Sonny. He's yeah, the Corleone. oldest. The oldest son. And he was also in the movie Dick Tracy, Thief, which I haven't seen Thief. And my parents would hate me if I didn't mention this. He was in Brian's Song, which was an oh, old Brian 70s Piccolo. movie. Yes. Yeah, where Brian there's two football players and they're friends and one of them gets cancer yeah and they write a song for them i've never let myself watch brian's song but my parents always talk about it because it was really big in the 70s it was yeah <laughs> so james Conn plays paul sheldon who is a famous author of the misery novels it's a romance series he's celebrating finishing his very latest manuscript by lighting a cigarette with a single match and enjoying a glass of, I'm going to try to pronounce it correctly, but we'll make a joke about it later, Dom Perignon champagne at the remote Silver Creek Lodge in Colorado. Uh, in the book, it's more clear that Sidewinder, which is the city by the Overlook Hotel, is right next to Silver Creek. So this is also, like, all of Stephen King's stories are either, like, Maine or, like, Colorado. Like, all of the ones that I like, at least. Um, so he begins this long drive back to New York City in his very, like, vintage Mustang. And there's, like, fun music playing. And he's like, yeah, I'm going home. It's very Stephen King because it's, like, 50s music almost. He's like, yeah, driving home to New York City. Um, but then there's this terrible blizzard and it gets worse and worse and worse. And finally he is, like, trying to – I don't know why he was doing this. This bothered me because, um, like, he's trying to keep his manuscript from falling on the floor of his – car but i'm like uh, why does that matter it's in a case because he's he is precious to him i get that because i have i know i have those type of habits too where it's inanimate i do that with but i like yeah i only do that with gizmo though and and baked goods that i am transporting um because those are your precious to cargo people do that my with precious, precious cargo yes. um but he crashes his car off a cliff into a snowdrift. And um, he, as he's, like, drifting in and out of consciousness, um, we flash back to right before he came to Silver Creek, where Marsha Sindel, who is played by the late, the great Lauren Bacall, Bogie's wife, but she is a great actress in her own time and right, um, who was in the old version of The Big Sleep, mm -hmm. um, one of my favorites, and she was nominated for an Academy Award, although she sadly did not win for this. The Mirror Has Two Faces, Murder on the Orient Express, and Britain, my one of our favorite anime movies, Howl's Moving Castle. Yes. Uh, she plays the witch, which, like, when I was watching it, I was like, I know that voice. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, my God, it's Lauren Bacall. I love her. She has this beautiful, deep, raspy voice. I love her. Um, so Marsha is his publisher, and she's lamenting to Paul about how him retiring Misery 
this cash cow is just like so sad like you could write more misery novels that make so much money it's paid for your it's paying for your daughter to go to school it paid for her braces this is silly to spit in the face of you know such a successful venture and paul's just like listen i never intended to be a romance novelist i want to write something important something deeper i want to have something to put on my tombstone and if i don't stop writing misery right now i'll write them forever and uh we go back to the snowdrift and he's reaching for his book and he passes out. And I, I have to point it out. I think it's so funny. So uh, this was Taylor's first time ever seeing Misery. And he's, oh, no. he literally, really? yes, 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 yes. And he goes, I want something on my tombstone. And the next scene, we literally see him bloodied in his car. And Taylor started yeah. busting out laughing. I was like, I never caught that. That is kind of darkly funny. So Also, yes. And in the, so I, I found the screenplay online. And I was reading through it. Um, I didn't get through all of it, but I read, I kind of, scan through it and they literally say we cut to sheldon's tombstone his car standing straight up in the snow and so oh. originally that's how he wrote it in the screenplay but i think physically they couldn't get to it they had a really hard time filming the car wreck sequence they had like nine different cameras set up and only seven of them ended up working wow so which there is one one frame was well, a couple of frames but one shot where like it's kind of grainy footage and it always bothers me watching it. I don't know if it's – it bothered me watching it this time. I don't know if it's because, like, it's on HBO Max. It's probably been HD restored and all that stuff. But there's one one little section of the car wreck that looks kind of grainy and gross. And I'm like, why Why does it look different? Everything else looks good. And this is an older movie. It's not that old, but still. Um, do you want to go for how we meet yes. Annie Wilkes? Because we do see a mysterious figure – crowbar open his door and drag him out the wreckage yeah and we know this person is strong because they literally kind of lift paul over their shoulder and walk yeah. away with him so yeah. he wakes up to annie wilkes uh and she's like i'm your number one fan and i'm gonna take care of you <laughs> and the first thing i thought like watching this as a adult and seeing kathy bates as annie wilkes i'm like wow she actually looks pretty like, she looks like she's in her late 30s, early 40s. She's really soft-looking. Uh, her eyes seem sweet. And she says, I'm I'm your number one fan. She says it was so much, like, care and love. Yeah. Like, you just, like, you instantly want to like her if you didn't know anything about this movie going yeah. into it. It's hard that I've seen it so many times because yeah. I know how it ends. Yeah. But, yeah, if you hadn't seen this movie before and you had no idea how the book went... You would be like, oh, she seems like a lovely, nice lady. She seems so nice. And so once again. Also, she's wearing a big cross in her neck. Oh, yeah. she And yeah, like, so she's wearing like a very modest outfit. Um, And Paul looks like shit. Like he's all bloody and yeah, bruised. Yeah, pretty bad. But once again, we do have the great Kathy Bates says, Annie, she won the Academy Award for Best Actress for this film. She won an OB Award for Frankie and Johnny in the Claire de Lune. Claire de Lune. And she was nominated for a Tony Award for a performance in Night Mother. Um, she's been countless oh. films. Oh, Night Mother. Yeah. Oh, it's really impressive. Yes. But really good. It's a really good one. I think me and my friend, our friend Bethany, uh, read it. Or rather, Grace now. She professionally goes by Grace. But, uh, yeah, she made me read it. And I was like, oh, that's really depressing. Yeah. 
So it's a dark one. It's a, it's a dark, dark movie. But she's been in other things. Yes. So she was in Fragrant Lots Tomatoes, Dolores Claiborne, so Titanic. Uh, she's she's Molly Brown, she, my favorite character in Titanic. Yes, Molly Brown. She's Bobby Boucher's yeah. mama in The Water Boy. So I, I wrote that one down too. <laughs> And she's a she's a tutor in the blind side yeah. for our football fans. She also has been in countless seasons uh, how about this? of American she, Horror Story. She and was in about Schmiff and she was butt ass oh, she, wasn't she about was butt ass naked in that movie because she's yeah. fearless. So Yes. Yeah. She said that made it hard for uh, men to approach her because she was naked with Jack Nicholson in a hot tub. Um, <laughs> And misery. People were asking her, like, she's like, yeah, uh, people associate me with Annie Wilkes now, and uh, that makes it hard for men to approach me. Also, she was in, like, a season of The Office, which, uh, when she walks in the first episode her character's in, I was like, oh, they got Kathy fucking Bates? I am here for this. I love her. She's, like, two giant dogs, and I was like, I love Kathy Bates. She makes everything better. I love her when she's in American Horror Story. Yeah. Even, like, I didn't love her Apocalypse character that much, but she was still really good in it. I do. But. I do. So, yeah, I would say we know her as uh, she's been a regular on American Horror Story since the third season, Coven. Mm-hmm. But I did want to mention, because I love this show, so she was Bettina on Six Feet Under, and she also directed five episodes of Six Feet Under. So she has directing credits, oh. too. I hadn't gotten far enough to get to her part. Yeah. Oh, so her and Frances Conroy worked together before American Horror mm-hmm. Story. That's adorable. Yeah. I love them both. I do, too. They were both nominated, too, for Best Supporting Actress. And Coven. For Coven? Yeah. Yeah, so was Jessica Lange. And they were, no, Frances Conroy and Kathy Bates were nominated. Kathy Bates won yes. that year for Best Supporting. And Jessica Lange beat out Sarah Paulson for best lead actress in a TV show. But honestly, Constance. No, Con- wait, Constance's first season. Oh my god, You're Jessica okay. Lange too. She plays like this a very similar character in both seasons. Yes. Uh, but, Fiona, um, Fiona yeah. Good. Fiona Shaw. Yeah. Yes. No, Fiona who's Fiona Shaw? Is that her last name? I thought it was Fiona, Fiona Good. Yeah. It's Fiona Good. You're right. Yeah. Ugh. It's a lot Anyways, of people. I'm to getting remember. my American I just marathoned a lot of AHS this Halloween season, and I'm getting them all mixed up. But I finally caught up. Anyways, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. But, yeah, we love Kathy Bates. We do. She's amazing. We're Kathy Bates stands here at Grindhouse Girls. Yes. We are. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so she's going to take care of Paul. She gives him pain medicine, um, and she's like, you know, the phone lines are down, and the blizzards cut off all the paths to the hospital, but it's yeah. okay. It's okay. As soon as the phone lines are back up, we'll call people. We're, you're going to be great. I'm a nurse. I was a nurse. Um, and she shows him. Yeah. She's like, your legs had compound fractures, and, you know, you're yes. not going to be able to go anywhere. You got a lot of recovery to do, but it seems like he's in good hands, like, right? Yeah. Also, why does she have a freaking IV drip? Like, I get that she has... They kind of explain this in the book because she has, like, free samples of things. Like, which you do get, but you're not supposed to steal that much and take it home. But I I was always very confused why she had um, an IV drip. I was like, my mom's an RN. She does have a lot of, like, she had, like, her nurse's bag when we were growing up. Like, bring me my forceps, Katie. And I'd be like, I didn't know what they were, but I just handed her the bag. But why does she have an IV drip? 
That always confused me in this. I was like, I, my mom has never brought an IV drip home from the hospital. Just in case, you know. But we also don't live in a remote area. That's true. So, I don't know. Maybe that's it. That's true. Um, but, yeah. It seems like he, he would be in good hands. And so, the next thing we see is Marsha, who, once again, is Paul's, um, pup, like, um, agent. She uh, makes a call to the Silver Creek Sheriff's Office and Sheriff Buster answer. And she explains how... You know, she's like, I love him. yeah, I, I love Sheriff Buster, too. Oh, played by Richard Farnsworth. Yes. Who I first saw as a little girl in the Anne of Green Gables miniseries. Oh, yeah. Um, but he was also in The Straight Story, which is David Lynch, I do believe. Yes, you're right. And I think I have it on Laserdisc, and I've never watched it. Because uh, I don't have a Laserdisc player right now. Uh, Lassie. Yes. And he was a stuntman in a lot of movies, including Blazing Saddles, and he was on Bonanza. Yes, and so he also was nominated for two Oscars. Uh, so uh, Comes a Horseman, which he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in that role. And the David Lynch film The Straight Story, he was nominated for Academy Award for Best Actor in the year 1999, which was a phenomenal year for movies. Um, and I think he passed away right after that. So he got one last nomination right before he passed away, which is bittersweet. I like him though. Yeah, I do too. Actually, I, he's he's fabulous in this. Um, there's no bad actors. Every little part has a good actor. Yeah, like they're all they're all good. I don't know how Rob Reiner did it, but he did it. Yeah, he got a lot of people. Um, but go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Um, and so she explains. She's like, "Hey, he goes to the Silver Creek Lodge every single year, and you know he he." He was supposed, he left on Tuesday. She called the hotel and she's like, he left on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't always hear from him, but his daughter hasn't heard from him either. I'm worried. And so Sheriff yeah. Buster's like, oh, we're going to put it in our system. And I laugh because the system's a post-it note on their board. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great, great. And that is in the script. Yeah, it's like, it's like writes Paul Sheldon with a question mark and puts it on. Uh, he he late, he wrote out the um, specifications of how big the card was supposed to be. Oh, that's awesome. In the screenplay, by the way. I love that. Um, William Goldman does not miss a beat. He doesn't. Um, also, he perfectly describes the montage like what each shot should be that comes later in the movie with the the great Tchaikovsky music and I was like damn he's a I mean he's there's a reason the man has two Oscars oh yeah um I do love that Marsha she's like oh am I being silly like she thinks she's overreacting but she still makes the call because so many like Missing persons cases, people don't call because, like, oh, we didn't want to re overreact. I'm like, no, overreact. If you haven't heard from your friend in two days, you call the cops. You tell them they're gone. If you haven't heard from them in eight hours and that's weird, call the cops. Brittany texts me whenever she hasn't heard from me <laughs> in a couple of days because she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, oh, I've been busy. She's like, okay, you usually check in daily. So just making sure you're not like getting murdered. Yeah, if it's I was been, like, I if appreciate it's been more it. than 48 hours, it's like, I should probably check in. Like, so. yeah. But I, I like that they add that. She's like, oh, I'm overreacting. But she still makes the call. She does. She's a good friend. She does. But it leads into Sheriff Buster asks his deputy, Virginia. He's like, when was that blizzard? And Virginia's like, it was on Tuesday. Why? And he's like, never, you know, nothing. But, so, Buster's pretty smart. He's already be pissing some stuff together. Now, we do need to mention Deputy mm -hmm. Virginia. So. Who is also his wife. Yes. Which is really cute. <laughs> which is so cute. Yeah. Because uh, at some point they're driving in a car and he's like, Virginia, when you're in this car, you're my deputy, not my wife. And it's very cute. It is. I love that. Um, it's Frances Sternigan, 
or Sternhagen. I'm not really sure how she pronounces her last name. Um, I think Brittany and I probably recognize her as Bunny McDougal in Sex and the City. Uh, Bunny, if you don't know yes. who Bunny McDougal is, she's, uh, she is, uh, uh, Trey's shit, mom. Trey's mom. Trey's mom. I was like, Kyle McLaughlin's mom. I was like, no, that's not the character's name. Um, and she always has like a weird bow in her hair. I love how they costume her for Sex and the City. Um, but she's been in everything. She was on Cheers. She was on ER. She was in another Stephen King adaptation of The Mist. Um, the closer, or wait, or was it a Rob Reiner movie, The Mist? No, 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 it was the, it was the Frank Dermont one, the one with the infamous ending. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she was on the closer and she was even in Julia and Julia. So Julia and Julia, you probably, you definitely recognize her. Interesting enough too, she also read the role of Dolores Claiborne in the audiobook for Dolores Claiborne. Oh, that's cute. Interesting. I like, I like her, even though Bunny's a bitch. I hate Bunny, but I love Frances Dernigan as Bunny, which I'm sad that once Frances Dernigan, I no, she's still alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She is still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sad that like Trey's not on Sex and the City anymore because now that they're doing the redo, I was like, I don't want Charlotte to be with Trey, but I want her to fight with Bunny again because the Bunny Charlotte scenes were hilarious. Um, but yeah. Uh, they are they are trying to figure out what happened, and Virginia's the one that's like, oh yeah, that blizzard was on Tuesday, and um, so Annie's shaving Paul, um, back at the Wilkes family farm. It's not really family, but the Wilkes farm. Um, as Paul was recuperating, she kind of like accidentally lets it slip, like on purpose, that she was following him in her car, and that's how she found him. I was like, uh, okay. And how do you like it? Because I noticed this too. You probably did as well. Where it's like, she's saying these creepy things about falling and stalking him. But the music is so sweet and sentimental. Yeah. Like, and, like they have a lot of sentimental music. Yeah. Like, it's very, like, uh, manipulative. Um, and it makes it, but also, like, she has saved his life. Yeah. And he's like, okay. She's like, I am, after all, your number one fan. It's kind of hard to hide from your number one fan. And you're like, okay, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, and she's shaving his face with, like, a straight razor. So she's like, oh, we wouldn't want to nick that skin. And it's not overly creepy. Like, they don't overdo the villain stuff early on. So you're like, okay, like. Yeah, a little threatening, but not not super scary. Um, after all, we were all teenage girls that went to concerts. We ever all liked Hanson and would have followed them to the ends of the earth. Or My Chemical Romance, whatever. You know, we all would do it. Um, but she asks him if she can read his new manuscript because she sees it in his thing. She's like, I took a peek and he's like, oh, the only people that can read my manuscript before it's published is my publisher Someone else and the people that saved my life. She's like, oh, ah. so he's like trying to be nice to her. She's very corny. She's very corny, old fashioned sense of humor. And like, he's obviously like a more worldly person. And he mentions later on that he kind of grew up in the slums. Like he was like, you know, like a, like a, he had a rough childhood. Like he's kind of rough around the edges. Yeah. But a nice way. I think those kinds of people are cool. Like, they're more approachable. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyways. Um, so that that was, it's kind of creepy, but not scary yet. Um, and Buster and Virginia are, like, trying to investigate. Buster goes to the hotel, 
and asks um, about, like, Sheldon. And they're like, oh, he's always a really great guest. Yes, he definitely left on Tuesday, um, the day the large blizzard happened. And he and uh, Virginia are driving along in their car later on. And she tries to feel him up, which is when he tells her, like, you're my deputy, not my wife in this car, Virginia. Um, But they notice that some of the trees have been broken. And he's like, oh, that could have been a crash. And they're like, or it could be snow. But they, like, there's too much snow and they can't get to where the Mustang is, which is just, like, feet away. Yeah. Which is so sad. You're like, the shot is like, oh, it's right there. Ah, yeah. dang it. Um, so Annie starts reading the manuscript. And this is the first, like, scary scene. Yeah, and I love this scene. So she's feeding him. And you can tell she doesn't want to be problematic because she's like, I was reading it, and he's like, and you didn't like it. And she's like, well, it's the profanity, Paul. I don't like the profanity. And that's when he's like, you know, yeah. well, I I was a slum kid. That's how people talk. And she goes off on this tangent. She's like, do you think I go to the grocery store and ask for this flipping? Can I get some bitchin' feed? And I like, love this because also the music is so great because it does this, yeah. like, it almost sounds like a swarm of bees. Like, when she gets angry, mm-hmm. it's, like, this, mm-hmm. like, fiddle string. Yeah. And it's, like, it is scary. Like, it's yeah. scary. And she's she has this tomato soup, in which, by the way, I have a bowl just like that bowl. And I just realized that I have the same bowl as yeah. her. And I was, like, oh, I will never eat tomato soup out of that bowl again. Um, but uh, she's, like, spilling it on him. And then, like, oh, it's so creepy because, like, it's scary that she's losing her temper. But what's scarier is she realizes she's losing her temper and she snaps back really quickly. It's one thing if, like, you realize, like, I know, like, I have high emotions. I, that's just how I always have been. I'm an emotional person. I know I can, like, lose my temper or lose my cool or just be, like, emotional. I don't want to say temper, but, like, cry or be sad or something and go overboard emotionally. But usually I feel like I have to take a few breaths to calm myself down. I can't really snap out of it. Like, it's, because, like... I'm not going to kill someone. Like, it's normal to have to take a few breaths. But she, it's calculated. Yeah. Almost. She's like, oh, got to snap back to my fake persona. And you're like, ah, that's frightening. And it's right after that, too, it's that so she, like, she apologized. And she's like, I love you, Paul. And she's like, well, you're mine. And Taylor already, Taylor, yeah. wait, how come this guy's always having crazy people tell him I love him? I love you. I love you. I Because lo- it's just like Taylor instantly <laughs> fought a buddy <laughs> But she does. She tells him she loves him. And you're just like, whoa, you just took it. You took it far. And then you took it a little bit farther. To the max. Yeah. Yeah. And he's stuck here. His his legs are shattered. Yeah. Um, uh, but the next time we see Paul and Annie, she's coming into the house and she's all excited and all a titter because she got the new misery book which he's completely forgotten about how he's written misery's child and um he but he's like oh shit i don't know what how she's gonna react to this um and she's like i can't wait to read it and um but she tells him she literally tells him i got to the general store in town the street to town is open, but none of the other streets are open. And I called the hospital and your publisher, but I didn't call your daughter. I'm sorry. You'll have to wait until tomorrow to do that. And he asked her if his phone, her phone is working. She's like, oh, nope, not my phone. Just the one in town. Oops. Um, and you're like, okay, that's kind of weird that that would be fixed, but that other one wouldn't. Um, and he's kind of like upset because it's his daughter's birthday 
And, like, he's he wanted to, like, wish her happy birthday. He's going to be really upset. By the way, I, I should have mentioned this earlier. Um, she's been doping him up with Novril pills, which is not a real pill, but it's a substitute for codeine, which I do not do well on codeine. I act like a crazy person on codeine. So I can only imagine what it would do if you were taking it constantly. I've only had to take it a few times in my life, but I act like I'm drunk when I'm on Cody. Yeah. Um, so she's doping him up. And um, so he's kind of in and out. And um, she kind of like barely even listens to him complain about, it's my daughter's birthday. And I was supposed to say, you know, happy birthday to her. Um, but she's just super excited about the book. And she starts reading it. And she's like, oh, my God, this movie's, I mean, not this movie, this book. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Oh, I'm so excited. And then she's what a like, here's book. my sad misery. So, like, there's just, like, a random pig that, like, jumps up on Paul's bed. And he's like, yeah, what the fuck is yeah. this? Like, <laughs> yeah. Which I kind of like the pig, I did, but yeah, she's it's adorable. very weird. She's adorable. She's, but... she's like, like, like a copper color pig. Yeah. Like, she's so cute. She is. But uh, she's like, this is my sound misery. She's like, I am your number one fan. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm starting to really believe that here. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? Um, and then she kind of muses to him um, that, like, when her husband left her, she was really lonely and she, that's one of the reasons why she got the pig, but she also, like, delved into her work. And she was working nights at the hospital, and that's when she discovered misery. And then she was never alone again. Um, and she just, like, she, okay, she does this thing that people do when they like someone, but they're not sure. They're putting feelers out to see how they like them, or like, how they feel about them. Because she's like, you know, it's not like I would say no to the institution of marriage. Just, you know, nobody respects it anymore. And, like, I would only say yes if, like, it was the right guy where she's like, Paul, Paul, please marry me. I love you, Paul. But she's not, like, really outright saying it. But it's, like, awkward. Um, but unfortunately, Annie then finishes the book. Which leads to... Yeah, she wakes him up in complete My favorite anger. line. Yeah. Oh, she calls you him, do it. You lying dirty bird. <laughs> dirty birdie. Dirty birdie. She calls him a dirty birdie. Yeah, she is pissed. I love it. She wakes him up out of a dead sleep. And <sighs> she's like, you killed her. And he's like, I did. You killed my misery. I just love it. And she goes, you killed her. He goes, I didn't kill her. She's like, who did? And he's like, she slipped away. Uh, but, like, she she yeah. she breaks a oh, plant stand over the back of the bed. And it, it like, apart- It was supposed to be a chair in the, in the script. I was like, I think the plant stand's better, but. She also admits she leaves him because she's like, I don't think I need to be around you right now. And she's like, by the way, I never call anyone and no one knows you're here. And you better not, you better, nothing better ever happen to me because if I die, you die. And then she just, you die. she just it's drives like, off. Ah. So, and poor Paul. And, and he's been a dependent on pain pills. Yeah. So he's like in so much pain. Like, it's terrifying. Yeah. And he struggles to get out of the bed. But he, at this point, he's like, oh my God, she's insane and so he tries to get to the door and then he realizes andy's locked him in so yeah yeah. which is sad because he like crawls in pain all the way to the door and then he's just like oh shit it's locked oh no um she does eventually return to him yeah she finds him on the floor and she tends him sympathetically and she's like you know god told me to show you the way and she gives him some um what is this the mandalorian but she, she gives him lighter fuel, and she's like, hey, she implies, she's like, you need to burn your book. She's like, you need to rid the world of this distastefulness. It's very creepy. 
Yeah. It- and, uh, yeah, it's awful. Because she, she's like, like, she's forcing him, but, like, making him do it. Like, she's like, no, it's not just that we need to burn it. You have to burn it. She brings, like, a whole-ass grill into his room. That was weird. Yeah, and she, because she's so obsessed with him, she knows he's superstitious. So even though when he tries to be like, okay, I can burn this and we have other copies, she's like, no, you don't. You're superstitious. You only print out one copy. So, um, and so, yeah, she makes him burn his book. And meanwhile, a helicopter flies overhead as Buster looking for the car. And BT Dove's helicopter pilot is an uncredited Rob Reiner. So it's Rob Reiner. It is. It's Rob Reiner. So director Rob as the helicopter pilot. Yeah. So uh, Annie kind of just like leaves Paul to mourn his book um, as she prepares dinner, and um, he starts to stash his novel in a hole in his mattress because he's like, I got to get myself the fuck out of here. He's like, I can't do it when I'm doped up on pills, obviously. Um, so later, Annie brings Paul a wheelchair and makes him this like makeshift office because she's like, the surprise is that I got you a typewriter and I'm going to give you the chance to make it right because I know you didn't mean to kill my misery. I'm going to let you make it right. So you're going to bring her back to life again by re- writing a new novel. And he's like, oh, fuck, which he's not really into. Um, but she also, like, demands that he dedicate it to her, too. (laughs) So I was like, that's weird. Um, and then she's like, oh, I got this typewriter, and it's a royal number 10, I think, and it's missing an N, so I got it really cheap. By the way, Stephen King's first typewriter, also missing an N, which is why it's so cool. Um, and I think in the script, and I think in the novel, when he writes the chat, like, the title, like, they show it as he would type it. It's missing the two ends, which is great. Um, and then I love this move for Paul because, you know, this is the first time he's been able to be mobile with his broken legs. Um, he's like, hey, um, thank you so much. But this paper you got, it smudges. And I can't write on smudgy paper. And Andy's like, but it costs the most. It has to be the best. And he's like, let me show you. And he types out the word smudge. And you know he's just loving it because he hasn't been able to stick it to her. Yeah. But he types out the word smudge and then it smudges. And she's like, oh, I guess it does. And again, she seems like she's fine. And then she's like, is there anything else you would like me to do? Would you like me to like go to Sri Lanka for something? Like she just starts doing all these crazy demands. He's like, no, Annie, it's fine. Uh, I just need this specific Mimeo paper. And she eventually like throws the paper like in his hurt lap. And probably his dick. And he's like, ah! And she goes, Mr. Man! Which is my favorite thing to call someone. It's hilarious. Um, fuck the patriarchy, I guess. Um, anyways, once Annie leaves, Paul rolls himself to the door. And he found an abandoned bobby pin. So he's able to unlock it. He goes to the front door. It's locked. He tries the telephone. All the components inside the telephone are gone. Which seems odd. And he... Which is weird yeah. and creepy. Um, then he explores and finds all these knickknacks and, and and all of his books on her shelf. And then there's, like, this one, like, memory book called My Life. And then he almost breaks this little penguin knickknack. But he's able to catch it before it hits the floor. And he saves it, puts it back on. But he is able to get into the kitchen. But he can't go super far because of his wheelchair. But he does find extra novel packs, and so he stashes them in his sweatpants. 
And um, he tries to get to the back door, but he hears Annie coming. So he runs back. Well, not runs. He wheels his way back to the guest room. And um, he, uh, just in time for Annie to come in. And he's, like, trying to hide the pills because he needs to go hide them still. And she's like, I got your paper. And she's kind of like, oh, my God, you're sweating. Are you okay? Um, and he's like, I need my pills, Annie. Get me my pills. It's great. And because he knows, like, she wants to help because she wants to be needed. And so he's able to stash his pills away. Um, and when she comes back, she's like, you know, I'm sorry. I have a temper. That's probably why I'm not more popular. Which is like, yeah, no shit, lady. And she, like, leaves him with this, like, blow. She blows him a kiss. She's like, bye, Paul. It's very creepy. Yeah. Her her love language is corniness. Yeah. And it. And murder. And murder. And, and torture. So Buster goes on another helicopter ride, but they do find the car. And so because they find the car and they don't find Paul, they basically are like, yeah, we're assuming Mr. Sheldon's dead. But then while Buster's looking at the car, he's like, someone got him out of the car because there's a dent in the car. He's like, someone must have pulled him out. So mm-hmm. um, Buster's, Buster's like, mm, something's going on here. Meanwhile, Paul starts to take the powder out of the pill and collects it. Um, and this is yeah. like one of my favorite lines in the movie. So Annie, he has started writing Misery's Return. And Annie comes in. She's not quite satisfied. And she's like, you need to start over. Except for the part where you named the grave digger after me. You can keep that in. Yeah. Also, I love the first time he tries to type. He can't think of anything. He just types, fuck, fuck, yes. fuck, fuck, fuck. And I was like, <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, you can keep that one. That's fine. That actually is like, not completely, but it's straight up out of the book. Like a lot of, a lot of the lines are straight out of the book. I gotta say, like he did a really good job incorporating, because I love Stephen King novels, but sometimes in movies, his dialogue is a little weird. Because he's very much stuck in, like, his childhood yeah. and the verbiage, which is fine. Like, it's, he's just nostalgic. But, like, sometimes it sounds weird. Um, but it sounds really good because William Goldman's a very good writer. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she basically tells him it's much more explained in the book because you do get to read the first chapter of the book and it's kind of shitty. Yeah. It's real shitty because it's just like misery and Ian were just with their baby and Ian looked at misery and he was so glad that she had a a, a blood transfusion, an experimental blood transfusion. Oh, his misery had never been done. It's sappy and stupid. Yeah. Um, so in a lot of ways, Annie actually helps him become a better writer, weirdly, because she's like, this is stupid. And this is probably... My favorite monologue, which look it up on YouTube if you haven't seen the movie, because it is on YouTube. Um, she tells him the story about how she used to do these picture shows. And he's like, oh, yeah, serial. She's like, yeah, I'm not stupid. I know what they're called. And she goes, I went with my brother to the serials, and my favorite show was Rocket Man. And there was a cliffhanger episode where Rocket Man's was tied to a seat and his car went over the cliff, and it burst into flames, and Rocket Man was dead. And so, and I couldn't wait for the next episode. And so she's like, I went the next week, 
And all of a sudden, he escaped at the last minute before his carbon of the cliff. And I stood up and I shouted, No! That's not what happened! You cheated us! He didn't get out of the cock duty car! It's the best part. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's great. I love because it. Because it's also another one of those moments where she flies off the <laughs> handle. And then she realizes what she does. And you see this great, like, emotion on her face where she's like, mm-hmm. oh, I did it again. And she reels herself back in instantly. Yeah. Again. Also, the camera work, because they get so close to her face when she goes. And they have this weird angle yeah. where she's so menacing. And you're like, I mean, I could tell that story. But it's like the way Kathy Bates portrays her, it's so terrifying. Yeah. You're just like, ah, I'm so terrified of you right now. Yeah. And 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 she's already physically abused him a couple times, so Exactly. But she he takes her he takes her, you know, criticism to heart and he starts giving her more chapters to read. He starts writing more. And Annie becomes insanely happy. Like she's loving it. She's like, This is some of the yeah. best work you've ever done. This may be the best. And so Paul And honestly, I would read that misery book because that next chapter is good because like they figure out that misery got buried alive. Cause she's like, Misery was in the ground when the book ended you have to start there yeah so it turns out misery is allergic to a bee sting and she went into a coma basically and that's what um but yeah so he's been collecting the novel and it kind of leads to yeah paul asked an interesting scene yeah i i like this scene too so paul asks us her to have dinner with him to celebrate misery's returns and Mm -hmm. uh annie is like you could tell, like, she's very touched and she's ecstatic. And so, but we also see she dresses up. that Buster buys the Misery books to try to understand Paul better. So yeah, Buster started, started reading Misery. But that night, Annie... Uh, I love Virginia. Yeah. His wife is like, what do you think you're going to read a book about a man who gets into a car accident and a snow drift and figure out where he is? And he's like, shut up, Virginia. He's like, this what gives our marriage so much spice. Oh. Yeah, like some spice. There's that spice again. Yeah. It's cute. I like them. They're adorable. They are really, really cute. Um, but that night, yeah. Annie makes a nice meatloaf. She dresses up. I actually think she looks really lovely in this scene, which is a real, another she thing does. that's really terrifying is that at points in this movie, she looks really sweet and, like, pretty. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's really true. A lot of people, like, who deal with these kinds of issues, like, th- they are normal people. Yeah. And, like, can be very loving and sweet. And it really is when mental illness or any kind of illness goes unchecked and unhelped where bad things happen. Like, I feel like Annie could have been a good person. Yeah. If she had gotten the help she needed early on. But in the book, it's much more obvious what she's been doing and how long she's been doing it. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah. But I'll let you keep going. No, you're good. You're good. Um, So, uh, Paul pours her a glass of wine and he's like, hey... Can you find a candle? And while she's looking for a candle, he drugs her drink with the medicine he's been collecting. Um, and so he's like, let's have a toast. And as he's toasting her, she accidentally knocks a drink over. So Oh, it's terrible. It's so sad. Yeah. All those well-laid plans just dashed. Yeah. And I don't know. Do you think she did it on purpose? Taylor asked the same thing. Taylor said the same thing. And I don't think she did. I think she was so excited. I personally think Annie was hoping maybe both of them got a little tipsy and see where things went is how I felt. Also, she's so like, oh, not too much wine. Yeah. And I was like, it's one glass lady. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's like Paul is so shattered. Yeah. Um, but 
he does make himself continue writing. And um, we have this beautiful montage. And, yeah, and he's powerlifting that giant typewriter. Um, we have this montage of Paul writing, working out his arm strength. So if he needs to take care of business, he can take care of business. To Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto Number 1. You know the song. And also the TV show Space totally ripped this off. Like they did a they did a homage to this in like one of the first episodes with the character, uh, Jessica Hines' character. Um, but uh, everything seems to be going great. He's writing. He's almost done with the book. Um, we also see Buster reading through the books and, you know, trying to figure stuff out. And then the rain hits. And Annie is just absolutely begrudged, like, to say the least. She's just so depressed. Um, And she tells Paul that the rain gives her the blues. And she just kind of, like, tosses his pills at her. And she, this is probably the part that most got me, like, you know, because this is what depression is. And she portrays it so accurately. Um, but she confesses that while she only loved Paul Sheldon, the writer, when he arrived, she now loves Paul Sheldon, the human being. And she knows that he's never going to love her because she's not the Hollywood type. And she's scared that once he finishes the book, he's going to leave her. And Paul is, like, trying to keep his cool. And he's like, why would I leave you? I wouldn't leave you. And she's like, that's very nice, but that's not the truth. And um, then she just picks up a revolver that's just hanging out in her jacket and her robe and uh she's like sometimes i think about using this maybe next time i'll put in the bullets and you're like ah um but she ends up just kind of like walking out of the house and taking a drive which in the book they specify that she has like a special place she goes to but they don't really say that in the movie she just kind of leaves um And I love that Buster, like we said, has been reading the misery books. And he finds one line that really strikes him, which is, there is a justice higher than that of man. I will be judged by him with a capital H. Um, And Paul, taking advantage of Annie's absence, goes to the kitchen and grabs the biggest knife he can find because he's terrified because now she has a gun. Um, And he lets kind of his curiosity get the best of him and starts reading her scrapbook. And that's kind of, it's kind of a mistake, but kind of not because um, he now knows what he's up against because it's very obvious that throughout Annie's life, a lot of people have mysteriously died. Her roommate at college, her father. In the book, there's a whole family that she murders in a fire in an apartment building that she lived in. Um, like, it isn't overtly stated, but it, Paul's like, yeah, she did this. And a bunch of babies at a hospital and at the ICU that she used to head up. So, uh, Annie's a serial killer. Um, kind of an angel of death kind of serial killer, I would say. Um, and he's like, oh, fuck, this is terrible. And she went to court in Denver, but, um, she was found not guilty. And he's like, oh, okay, so this is what I'm up against. So eventually he heads back to the bed. And it's interesting because, like, he's, like, he's, like, armed with the knife. And he's like, I'm going to, this is, he's practicing, like, attacking her. And when she finally comes back home, she goes straight to the television and doesn't come in. So he's like, oh, okay, I'll just hide the knife back into the mattress. So I'll, and he's, I think he says, I'll see you in the morning. But, um, then we get 
the most infamous scene in this movie. Yes. And so he wakes up and she's standing over him. She rushes him and she drugs him. And I have to say before uh, we get to this scene, which is the scene everyone knows, uh, Kathy Bates actually cried uh, before filming this scene because of the violence of this scene. She had a very hard time performing. She performed the scene wonderfully um, with yes. such talent. But this was a very hard scene. So I thought it was really sweet that she had such a soft heart that this was not something she enjoyed acting out in the least bit. Yes. Also, before we get too far into it, the legs in this scene are made of gelatin. Yes. It's not real legs. That's what I tell myself every time I watch it. It makes it easier. But I will say, the first time I saw this scene, I was completely taken aback. Uh, another brilliant moment, too, where the music juxtapositions the scene because we have Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata playing. I know. Yeah. It's great. I forgot that that was the song because we chose it for our one-star reviews. And I was like, <laughs> I wasn't trying to do misery vibes, but okay. Uh, basically, Annie has drugged Paul and he awakens to find her standing over him. And she tells him she knows he's been going out. She couldn't figure out at first, but then she found his key, which is a little bobby pin. And she knew because her little ceramic penguin, which this is my dad's favorite line because he always repeats it. Always faces due south, Paul. And you're like, oh, fuck, why would you know OCD. that? OCD. Um, yeah. Um, she's a lot of uh, bipolar disorder. I'm not sure exactly what she, she, like, I read a list of things she's been diagnosed with. And it's, like, a very long list. Um, but um, she also knows that he found her scrapbook because she stupidly left it out. Um, and then... Um, Comes the worst part. She just starts randomly talking about the Kimberly Diamond Mines. She's like, do you know what they used to do to their workers who would steal stuff from the mines? They had to let them be able to work, but they didn't want them to run away. So they did a process called hobbling. And as she's doing this, you can see that there's a block of wood she's placing between Paul's ankles. And he is strapped to the bed. And you're like, what is, what is she, why is she saying that? What's hobbling? And she's like... She just keeps explaining it. She's like, now, Paul, I know you just need more time. And this is like one way I can do it for you. And she takes a sledgehammer and she just breaks his ankle with it. And you see the first one and it just swings in like a door. And it's horribly disgusting and makes my heart hurt every time I talk about it. But it's so good. And then, then the worst part is she does the other one. Yeah. Like, she could have just broken one ankle. But no, she's like, almost done, darling. Just one more. And does the other. And you're like, oh, my God. And then the best part, God, I love you. God, I love you. Oh, it's terrifying. It's such a good scene. And in the book, she actually cuts off his foot and cauterizes it with a blowtorch, which is terrifying. But, like, I feel like this is almost worse. Taylor said the same thing, interestingly enough. Yeah. He said... I think it's almost worse. Yeah, and the only reason... So, the big thing was is that I think there was an original script where they had wrote it that they... That they that he did get his foot cut off. And then they decided, they were like, no, that's him losing too much, is what they felt. He lost yeah. too much if they went that direction. Also, originally, um, Annie Wilkes ran over a police officer with a lawnmower. 
I think they may, I don't, I've never been able to find the scene, but I think they may have, they either wrote it and cut it out or they um, actually filmed it and then took it out because it was too funny. Um, like it was kind of comical. But yeah, so uh, he's now hobbled. Um, it's terrifying. Um, in town though, Buster sees Annie yell at another driver, saying something cock-a-doody. think she yells poop or something. It's really funny. Um, and he's kind of like struck with genius. Like he's a strike of genius. And he goes to the library and finds the same news articles Paul found about Annie's court case and suspected murders. And in the ledger, he finds the same justice quote, um, from the misery book and he's like oh so she was quoting it from misery book that's weird and he goes to the general store and he asks the general store guy he's like did annie wilkes purchase anything like weird and he's like not unless you call paper weird and like typewriter paper and he's like oh, okay and like he's excited he's like i i think i know what's going on and the guy's like, oh, has she done anything wrong? He's like, oh, not a thing. So he doesn't tell anyone where he's going, which is mistake number one. Um, but we come back to Paul, who's struggling to write with his now hobbled ankles. And there's this interlude where Annie's playing with Misery the pig outside. She's like, hi, darling, give us a kiss. And he shoots her on the finger. It's great. Yeah, and she goes, you um, kidder. <laughs> oh, my God, she's insane. Um, but yeah, I'll let you continue though, Brick. Yeah. And so, um, Buster goes to, uh, visit Annie's house and she drugs Paul again and drags him in the basement. Um, and so Buster asks Annie, he's like, hey, you know, do you know anything about Paul? And she's like, well, he was, you know, born here and he's the only child. And he's like, no, I meant like, do you, she's like, oh yeah, well, I heard about the accident. And so she invites him in and she tells him all the right things. Like, she's very smart. She's like, she's like, God came to me and told me I need to be the next Paul Sheldon. I need to write these books. And so she's like, I set up a little writing corner in my spare bedroom. And she's like, I've read the mm -hmm. books, so I know how to write like him and everything and i'm like damn she's good and taylor she's yeah. like a sociopath because that is like laying out plans yeah that's crazy yeah like she is so good at this and she's mm -hmm. like she's so comfortable too because she's like do you want some hot chocolate and she lets buster explore the house and she even makes him some hot chocolate and uh he starts to leave he's like can't ever come by and visit you again she's like sure and as he's leaving, he hears Paul kick over at the grill in the basement. And so he rushes back in the house and Paul calls out to him and he opens the basement door. He goes, Mr. Sheldon. And then there's a shot, a <gasps> shotgun blast to the back. Through his chest. Yeah. Uh, and Buster is no more, sadly. Yeah, it's very Buster sad. Buster got busted. He did. Sorry, I really like that I character. I do, too. It's just his name. I do, too. And so she's like, she's telling Paul, Paul's like at the bottom of the stairs, kind of like, oh, fuck. Like, if this isn't already real, it's just gotten so much realer. Right. Um, She's like. Shit just got real. Yeah, she's like, I, I knew this would happen, and I already put two bullets in the gun. And so Paul does the smartest thing possible, which is like, he's like, mm -hmm. I love you, and I know we have to die for misery to live, but I have to finish the book. Ugh. Oh, she says God made me save you so we can be together forever. I'm like, don't bring God into this crazy lady. Anyways. Yeah. 
I wouldn't usually say that about someone with a serious mental illness, but at this point, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. That's what, and Kathy Bates is very, like, she, when she's been explaining the character, she's like, it's not an excuse, but it is a reasoning, like, for why this would happen. Like, it's just, like, her, like edging her along. Um, but she, he's like, I'm almost done with the novel. You know, I have to need three, I need three things, and... She does the thing where, like, what three things? And he's like, don't you know? She's like, of course I know. You need a match. You need a cigarette because you only smoke a cigarette. You gave it up and you only smoke, so, uh, only smoke a cigarette Ugh. after you finish your novel. And Dom Perignon. And it's like Dom Perignon, like the champagne. Um, so he's going to finish the novel. Yeah. It's his last hurrah, and, he, and they're going to kill themselves. Yes, and he tells her, he's like, he's like, but get, because she brings everything, but he's like, I need you to bring an extra glass for yourself. And she, for yourself, she's like, oh. you need two glasses. <laughs> and she's like, oh, God, this is hot. Like, she doesn't say it, but she's thinking it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is hot, man. Um, yeah, and he's so brilliant because he takes the misery novel and he takes the last chapter and he holds it in his hand with the lighter fluid that she had made him burn his novel with and he's like remember how misery it was is like it's a crucial plot point about misery chastain he's like the answers you want are right in this in this chapter that i hold in my hand and then he lights them on fire and throws them with the rest of the manuscript and she freaks out and tries to put it out, and he lifts the typewriter and brings it down on her head. But unfortunately, uh, Annie Wilkes is a motherfucking champion and is hurt, but is not down for the count. Yeah, so she literally gets up, she shoots him in the shoulder, uh, and then they yeah. struggle, because as she shoots him in the shoulder, he basically fucking leaps out of the wheelchair onto her they have this violent struggle on the floor and in the middle of that he forces parts of the paper into her mouth he's like you want it it's great you want it? eat it eat it it's like just forcing yeah. it in her mouth like oh my god he does a lot of like you crazy bitch lines yeah. which is like usually i would say that's a cheap shot but is totally deserved in this circumstance yes and so as she gets up uh, she does trip and she hits her head against the typewriter. And so at this point, he yeah. he thinks that she's down for the count. He tries to crawl away from her, but then of course, like the movie villain she is, she leaps out of nowhere back onto him. Yeah, which ironically, the fight choreographer for this, according to Kathy Bates, is the same guy that did Fatal Attraction. Oh yeah, I could see that. Has one of these scenes, and I was like, oh, okay, got it now. Um. <laughs> But he finally takes what is a little metal pig and smashes her head in. And she dies. And then we have kind of this lovely yet creepy scene. It's where um, it's in the 18 future. 18 months later. Uh, 18 months later and Paul is meeting Marsha for lunch. She's like, this is a great book. And it's it's not a misery book. It's a it's a it's a. A real life book. It's the tr- the the ed- trials and crimes Phil- of J- Philip J. Stone, right? Philip J. Stone, yeah. And um, uh, she's like, "Oh, this is really something you can put on your tombstone." 
And as they're talking, he's like, you know, I gotta say, you know, Annie Wilkes, that whole experience, I think it, it really, like, changed me as a writer and made me a better writer. And as he's saying this, you see Annie Wilkes in a waitress outfit come with a dessert cart towards him with a knife. And he's like, yeah, I know she's dead, but I still think of her sometimes. And then it's not really Annie Wilkes. It's just a waitress who goes, Mr. Sheldon, is that you? I just want to tell you I'm your number one fan. And he's just like, yeah, thanks so much. And then it starts playing We'll Meet Again. Oh, no, uh, I, I'll be seeing you. Oh, no, I'll, yeah, be, I'll be seeing, seeing you in all the old familiar yes. places. Yeah. And so, again, another ending, very similar to the Shining ending with the music. And this is a spoiler for the novel, um, but I know you know this, Katie. I actually like the change to the movie, so I did read in the novel, he actually publishes Misery's Return. And they changed it. They changed it in the movie yeah. because they wanted to show that Paul could get away from from it which i kind of like the ending of the book it's not as happy but it's kind of sad which is weird because the ending of dr sleep like nowadays king is the happier ending than the movie Mm -hmm. dr sleep where but which i liked the king ending better but i kind of like him having to keep writing misery it's almost like annie will never leave him alone but i like that he is a happy ending yeah too like it's a much ho- more hopeful ending but both endings work yeah it's just this one's a little happier um but yeah we talked about that was a lot of movie to talk about it's not that long of a movie but it's a lot of movie actually we only talked about the movie for an hour exactly so that was actually pretty good um so do you have any pros or cons or final thoughts Britt? um i i i think overall um as we stated this is definitely one of the best stephen king adaptations um i know it's been made into a place since that's performed irregularly um there's no like running shows of this but i think it would be the perfect theater show just because it is largely a two-character mm-hmm. uh show like you i think the book yeah. is completely like i think other than the young sheriff that's killed by the lawnmower is completely like a two-character show um I've, yeah, no, you you have Buster. Buster's in it. Okay, too. Buster's He's in not it. as much of a character. Okay. And Marsha is too. But it's it's less less Buster scenes. Okay. They expanded his character for the movie. But he's in there. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um I, I do think it's definitely one of the stronger Stephen King adaptations. I think Kathy Bates is amazing in this movie. Like this this is a thirty one year old film and still watching her in this movie. I'm like, she's phenomenal. Um, she's so good. She's so good. And she has, like, you know, because Rob Reiner and William Goldman and her had worked so hard to portray Annie as a mentally ill person and not a villain, she humanizes her, which creates the ultimate villain because she seems like she's an attainable villain. Yeah. Like someone you could really meet in real life who could do some real damage. Um, and James Caan is so great in this role. He I is. love him in this role. You know, we um, we forgot to mention too that so many male actors turned down this role because not because of two reasons. Like two reasons because yeah. one, there was a vulnerability that a lot of men didn't want to show in acting this role. Two, because there was a chance their female co-star would st- totally upstage him. And I think it speaks volumes to James Caan's acting because he held his own against, like, yeah. obviously, like. You can't... And she was kind of unknown at this point. Yeah. This was her breakout role. She had done a couple movies, but 
really Rob Reiner was a big fan of the theater and had seen her in a play several times. And that's one of the reasons why she got cast because he knew her from theater. Um, but yeah, he, yeah, I think James Conn is so great. Yeah. Jack Nicholson turned down the role. Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus wanted to take the role. I think Richard Dreyfus would have actually been really good as Paul Sheldon, actually, especially this time period. Um, but he had had to turn down another role and he felt kind of bad about it. Um, for, oh, he was supposed to be Harry in When Harry Met Sally. Oh, yeah. Which he would have been great for that, too. But I like Billy Crystal. I do, too. He's a little more funny. I love Richard Dreyfus. Don't get me wrong. Richard Dreyfus. I, I love Richard Dreyfus. Uh, Jaws and Mr. Holland's Opus. Dear, dear places in my heart. But, yeah. Um, I think he's great. And, um... And I just love the sheriff and his wife and Lauren Bacall's cameo. Like, can it get any better than that? I mean, even the guy that plays the hotel clerk is familiar to me. Libby, like, yeah, a ton of stuff. Libby, yeah. Um, which there's not that many characters, but it's still really good. Um, and I think I wrote down too. This is the perfect King adaptation. Um, it is really close to the book, but it just it's more streamlined. Yeah. Um, which is hard to do with King because he does go off on tangents, which they're beautiful to listen to and to read through, but it's just, it doesn't translate to film. Um, yeah. And there's no silly villains. Like I said, um, I do feel if we're going to get into any cons, the ending always to me from the time Buster figures out what's going on to the end, it feels a little rushed. Like, I'm like, oh, we're, we're ending this right now? Okay. It feels a little bit rushed. I kind of wish we had seen him, like, struggle to get to, like, the car to drive himself to the town or something. I don't yeah. know. But it does feel, like, a little rushed. But not in, like, a bad way. Um, I think it's a crime that this was only nominated for Best Actress. I cannot believe it wasn't nominated for Best Director or Best Writing or Best Supporting Actor or Best Actor. It seems weird to me. But, again, horror movies weren't allowed to win awards like that back then. And for some reason, I thought The Exorcist had won, but maybe it was just nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, and I think The Exorcist was also so controversial when it came out, too. The, a lot yeah. of the movies during the Satanic Panic were very controversial. Yeah, but this was the first winner for a horror movie actress ever. Yeah. Um, and they, they were very few and far between. Like we said, uh, Tony Collette was robbed for her. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I think because she was an unknown, that maybe helped out, too, because it was such a standout role. I mean, she wasn't unknown because she was a very famous theater actress, but she wasn't super known in movies. And now she she does so many guest spots on TV shows and in movies. She And she does a lot of different movies. Like, she does very funny movies, and she does very serious movies. And she's always good. So, I mean, of course, we're, like Britt said, we're Kathy Bates stands. So, um, she can... Do very little wrong in our book. But, um, yeah, I love this movie. I think it's great. Um, do you have an out of 10 rating? I do. I'm going to have to go with an 8 out of 10 for this one. Um, I think the acting is the real standout in this movie to yeah. me. Um, yeah. Direction isn't bad. Direction is good. Screenplay is wonderful. 
But there's not... With a movie like this, if you didn't have good actors, it would collapse on itself because so much of it is about yeah. the characters. So, yeah. 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 Um, I gave it an 8.5 mm-hmm. out of 10 just because of nostalgia. But yeah, it I love it, but it's not like a like a hereditary or a midsummer or a parasite where I'm just like in awe of the craftsmanship. It's really about I don't really think even though Rob Reiner is a very good director yeah. and he's extremely competent. I don't see his movies that I'm like the he doesn't have like a visual style. Yeah. You know. He has one, but like he relies heavily on actors. Like for instance, there's a movie that he directed more recently, not super recently, but like when we were in high school, called Alex and Emma. I own it. It's a very cute romantic comedy, um, also about a writer, but it's um Luke Wilson. Oh yeah. And uh what? Kate Hudson. And, like, they're not bad actors by any means, but they're not the strongest actors, and it, it's not the strongest movie. It's kind of wishy-washy, but I enjoy it, and it's cute. It's very Nora ephron Yeah, I love Nora Ephron. In my opinion. Which I, but it's like a weaker Nora Ephron. It's not like a You've Got Mail. Yeah. You know, but it's good. It's good. It's cute. But, um... Did you have a Grindhouse Girls rating? For I this did. One? These were not my favorite, uh, but they're they're short and to the point. Um, so uh, I one of them was rated S for sows and snowy scenery, okay. and the other one was rated P for paper and pain. Okay, so I really like mine, but they're very silly. Uh, rated C for cockadoodie depression. Because, I don't know, she's depressed. I'm sorry, I have depression too, it's funny. Anyways, uh, rated S for snowdrifts and seasonal depression. Because I thought that was cute. But my favorite is just a quote from the movie, which is rated L for lying old dirty bird. Which is what she calls it. I like that. You lying old dirty bird. I like that. Is that is that what we're going to yeah. rated L? Oh yeah. So our rating will be rating L for lying old dirty bird. Yes. Um, okay, so we have a special announcement for next week. Do you, do you want to make it or shall I? Um, uh, if you would like to announce the guest or the movie, I can announce the other, if that makes sense. Okay, so I know you guys have heard us mention our friend Dalton. Hello, Hi, Dalton. Because we know you're listening. Yeah. Uh, we have asked our friend Dalton to... Join us on the podcast next week. We're so excited. We get another guest episode. We do. We do. And uh, Dalton picked the movie Green Room, uh, <gasps> which is a, we were joking, it's not really a Christmas movie, but we were like, hey, it fits into the theme of green. And green is very Red Christmassy. Green. So. The Evergreen Room. Yes. That's not what it's called. But it's a movie we've been sitting on for a very long time. We keep almost picking it and not picking yeah. it. So I'm very excited about this movie, even though it's not as Christmassy. But if we do too many Christmas movies in December, we will eventually run out of them. Yes. They need to make some Christmas, some, I mean, horror Hanukkah movies. Oh, too, yeah, that'd be nice. Because there aren't enough. I literally found one listed that I couldn't find streaming. Anyways, so I'm excited. If, if you haven't seen Green Room, it's by Jeremy Saulnier, who also did Murder Party. Or we, yeah, Murder Party. And, that and Blue we did Ruin, right? Last year. And Blue Ruin, yes. Oh, Blue Ruin is so good. And Hold the Dark, I believe, was his most recent, which I haven't seen yet. Um, that got mixed reviews, but Blue Ruin is absolutely 
just devastating. Um, but this one is definitely not as funny as Murder Party. But it was kind of his big hit. Like, a lot of people saw this. Unfortunately, it was not playing anywhere near me in theaters because I was going to go see it. And um, I couldn't find a theater that was playing near us because we didn't have an art house theater near us at the time. And very tragically, uh, the lead, Anton Yelchin, uh, passed away in a very very freak accident a couple years ago. So uh, if he... He he was around mine and Katie's age when he passed. So uh, I we grew yeah. up with some of the Anton Yelchin movies. So that was a very hard loss. But um, it's nice that we have this. He's in Star yeah. Trek, if you don't know him. The newer Star Treks, if you don't know mm-hmm. him. But this was really his a breakout movie for him because he's the lead. And it was really sad because he went to rehearsal, came back, and his car backed into him and pinned him between him and I think his mailbox like a yeah. mailbox it's terrifying he was like the only child of his parents who were uh figure skaters like olympic figure skaters yeah. um that had um moved here from I think Russia or Belarus one of those countries it's very sad it's very sad but he is absolutely brilliant in this movie uh it also stars Imogen Poots which who has an unfortunate last name but is a good actress uh, Aaliyah Shawcott, uh, who is from Search Party, which I haven't watched yet, but Arrested Development and State of Grace, which are two of my favorite TV shows. And speaking of Star Trek, there's Patrick Stewart, who plays a creepy, creepy villain. And basically the movie, I will give a little warning because what happens, this is the setup. This isn't spoiling anything, but this band, they're like a... What would you call them? Uh, they're they're definitely like a like almost like punk like serious hardcore punk, punk rock yeah. band. Yeah, punk, punk definitely yeah. punk. Like like you know fuck the patriarchy anarchy kind of punky. Yeah. Um, but they're good people. They end up in this backwoods club that they are unaware is a secret hotbed of neo Nazi white supremacists. And they get stuck in the green room when something terrible happens during their show. And it's a fight for survival. And that's all we're going to say until we get to next week. Um, I haven't watched this movie in a couple years. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to watching it again. So thank you, Dalton, for uh, choosing this. And we're very excited to have... Dalton, who is one of our most active listeners and friends, um, come on the podcast. You are so welcome, friends. And we're very excited because we love guest episodes. It's always fun to add a new person to the mix. Um, Also, uh, like, we probably had to cut this in the beginning because we couldn't figure out how to say this, but we are, one of our dear friends is going to start editing the podcast. So hopefully we will have more extra content with the editing being out of my hands um we'll have a little more extra time to do some extra stuff so um we're very excited um thank you to our dear friend nicholas ryan moody i'm gonna say your whole name um (laughs) thank you so much we're so excited to have you as an editor and i'm sure it'll actually probably be a much cleaner sounding show because i always freak about out about what to edit out and what to keep because I always want it to be like, oh, I'm sentimental about this part, but I'm excited to have a third party who who actually, like, listens to our show and knows how yes, we sound. Yes, that's too. true, too. Like, edit. I'm very excited. Um, 
So please welcome and be welcoming to all of our new friends. So I'm I'm excited. Are you excited? I am excited. It? Yeah, it's a it's it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be cool. So welcome Ryan, uh, Dalton. We're so happy to be recording with you uh, next week. So yeah, looking forward to yes. it. So. Yes, welcome to the holiday season. I have a gizmo in my face, so excuse yes. me. Um, he's being very needy, but that's okay. He's adorable. He is adorable. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. Um, we love you guys. We hope as you enter into the holiday season um, that you do so with ease. Um, don't overdo yourself. Um, give yourself time. Give yourself space. Um I read a beautiful little quote that I retweeted on Sarah Turney. If you don't know who Sarah Turney is, you probably do. Um, she is the host of Voices for Justice podcast. Um, she's also Alyssa Turney's sister. Um, but she was basically like, if relatives are going to destroy your mental health, don't talk to them. Uh, don't go spend your entire budget on Christmas presents, showing people you love them. They already know. And if someone tells you to stop eating a serving of food, then um, go eat them because fuck them. Eat as much food as you want. But do so healthily. But, you know, you know your own limits. Um, But, yeah, uh, be safe. Be kind. Don't kill anyone during Good Good Friday, uh, Black Friday. Don't hurt anybody during Black Friday. Um, And be kind to retail workers this holiday season. It's a rough world out there. Britt and I have both worked retail during the holiday season. It's hell. Be nice to them. They have families, too. Yeah. That's all. I guess. But we're thankful. I'm thankful for you guys. I know Britt's thankful for you guys. We're very thankful that you listen to us, that you participate. And we just love you guys so much. And we're excited to share a few more holiday episodes before the end of the year is out. Yeah, so. yeah. Brit. Exactly. Pretty much echoing everything Katie said. Uh, thank you guys again for always listening, liking, commenting, subscribing, sharing. Uh, we love to hear from you. We hope you're doing well. Uh, we hope you have a very happy Thanksgiving. Um, please take time for yourself. Please take those deep breaths drink a glass of water i don't know if i said that last time because i got really tired but hydration oh yeah take your vitamins yes. wash wash your hands I first wash your it. hands take your vitamins drink your water hydration is really really important i will always trust that um you know mm-hmm. uh like katie said please it's a mean world be nice to each other be nice to retail workers have patience if you are in a hurry don't go to the grocery store just do not do it i'm telling you so um, just get it delivered. Yeah, get it delivered. Get like, do some do some grocery pickup. Like, there's so many options now, guys. Versus, you know, uh, it's just that time of year. People are understaffed. Uh, there's never chaos reigns supreme. Yeah, there's never enough check lanes open. It's not their fault. It's not someone's fault. Don't be that person. And everyone is still still short. That's true. Because of COVID. Yes, y'all. It's still going it is. on. Yes. People are still short staffed. Whether you like to admit it or not, it is still a thing, yes. So, just be cautious. Get your back. Get stuck with your stickies. Yes, yes. But on a, Get a shot. on a lighter note, guys, um, we do love you. We care about you very much. We hope you take mm-hmm. care of yourselves. Um, and we just always, as always, just look forward to seeing you um, names next time. Uh, same spoopy time, same spoopy channel. Yes, stay spooky, Stay spooky, y'all. Night, everybody. Night, night, Katie. Night, Night, Kizmo. Bye, buddy. Night.
night for babies like Brittany. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.